Welcome to Capes, Cows and Masks, the show where we uncover the world of soups and science fiction. I'm your host, Jay Cart. I'm a podcaster and a writer for Fresh Take Hub. And as always, I'm joined by my fellow co-host. Hello, I'm David Osger. I am a content creator and editor over at freshtakehub.com. And you know why we're here. Three and a half years of campaigning, rumors, trailers, posters, everything. It's finally upon us. Zack Schneider's Justice League. We're going to have a deep dive into this four-hour epic. But of course, we can't do that with our fellow friend of the show, DC and Batman Nut. That was on our last show of the DC Animate Movies. Please welcome back to the show, Rob Aylin. How's you doing, Rob? I'm very well, gentlemen, and uh, thank you very much for having me uh, back once again. And uh, I'm liking being called a nut. Uh, do you want to get nuts? Let's get nuts. <laughs> Let's get nuts. <laughs> I think uh, every time somebody comes on this show, they get labeled with a, a name. Like, Tom is now the comic Shogun. Uh, it seems that you're the Batman nut. <laughs> I'll take it. I, I, I'll, I've never been referred to a nut, but I'll take it. I'll take it. <laughs> it's almost as if you're calling him Joker or something. Like, surely Joker is like the ultimate Batman nut. You might have like Joker knocking at your door, Rob, <laughs> at some point. Like, hey, <laughs> this guy is my friend. He's my buddy. Stay away from him. I'm your best friend. <laughs> oh. <laughs> well, we're going to get into that. Yes, we're going to get right into the nitty gritty of this massive four hour Epic Zack Snyder's Justice League is here, obviously in the name, directed by Zack Snyder. Story by Zack Snyder, but screenplay by Chris Terrio. Before we get into all of that, the, all the details, the character breakdowns and the story structure, Rob, I go to you first. It's finally here. We've been talking about this for years now, but now that you've seen it, what are sort of your overall big picture thoughts of Zack Snyder's Justice League? I will start with just by saying a simple sentence for me of the, you know, my overall thoughts, which is I do think it is flawed, but I do think it is ultimately satisfying, which is also the title of my sex tape. But that to one side, I did find it incredibly astonishing that this wasn't the film that we got back in 2017. And it still blows my mind that I've seen the film twice now. And each time, it's left me with a smile on my face, and it's left me completely satisfied. Now, as, as I said, there are flaws, and we'll get into that. But, my God, what a transformation. What a, what an ex a different experience um, of this movie. I mean, beat for beat, it is the same, yes. But the way that we experience this film is so different, and it's quite a transformation. Definitely. What about you, Dave? Yeah, definitely. I, I agree with Rob there. And I, I think what's especially relevant in having Rob with us as well today, uh, you know, as being a filmmaker is it goes to show even I think if it was around the same running time, I think that it shows how important things like color grading and editing and music are, you know, you completely change the tone and feel of a film just by subtle elements and, and changing them. So I think that it was a great way of proving the haters wrong because again I was never 
you know, a, a Snyder fan. I was never there like, yeah, release the Snyder Cut. I got to be honest, for a few years, I was there like, shut the hell up. It's getting on my nerves, you know, like, because it was just like so much noise about it. And you're like, yeah, it's never going to happen. But ultimately, as I've said many times on the show, I really came to respect what Snyder had done, the movement that they had made, and just the whole concept of seeing out this person's vision. Again, whether I sort of got on with their previous DC work or not, I can't sort of deny somebody's story and a project that they were promised. And what happened to him was a very crappy and shitty thing to do. And I was never, you know, a big fan of it, even at the time, or was unsure of, of the decisions that they had made. So, yeah, ultimately, I think that this brought me a lot of what I expected. It was very epic, I would say, is, you know, my sort of one word takeaway from it. It was very, you know, Zack Snyder, and it was very, like, rich. There was a lot in there. There was a lot packed into this film. And I think I ultimately just, you have to give credit to somebody who makes a four-hour film, regardless of what that film is, whether it's a comic book film, a romantic comedy, whatever. You know, it's always going to give you more character, more depth, more story, and it got me thinking about, is there actually any bad four-hour films, you know, in terms of, like, really bad, like, Amazing Spider-Man 2 sort of level? Because ultimately, most of the time, our problems come from, that was too squished, it was too rushed, we didn't get this character introduced. So I think that the the time also really benefited them as well. Again, there's certain things I don't quite gel with, with Snyder's style, but I was watching this kind of like, well, again, that's just a, a case of taste. It wasn't a case of, like, I think that that's detrimental to the film. So some of the problems I had was not so much, like, I felt it affected the quality. It was just that it wasn't my cup of tea kind of thing. Uh, there was a few problems that I did have. But ultimately, I felt that the the story, even, like, 45 minutes into it, felt fleshed out and thought out enough that I felt, no, they've got this. You know, I was pretty confident by watching 40 minutes in that it was going to be a pretty high-ranked review for me. So, yeah, I was really impressed. I really enjoyed it. And, yeah, you know, I'm looking forward to going back. Yeah, for myself, I mean, you know, I have been very vocal that I am a huge Zack Snyder fan. I am a big advocate for all his movies. I enjoy his take on the DC characters and what he was going for. So there was, you know, I I think I even spoke about this with Rob. There was an element of, like, is it going to be a Phantom Menace situation? Is it like, oh, but what if it sucks? Do you know what I mean? There was a little tingling of, of that in me going into this film. But it was all washed away. Like, overall, I love this movie. I fucking love it. I loved it from beginning to end. At no point was I bored. At no point did I feel Zyder, uh, Snyder was shoving stuff in. At no point did I feel he'd gone too far in what he wanted to create. The action sequences are so well done. The imagery is stunning. Like, there are moments I just wanted to stop and savor the cinematography, the color, the look, the style he's putting onto screen. You know, Zack Snyder is such a visual, visceral filmmaker. And, you know, the characters, it's just so great to see Henry Cavill without the cheesy dialogue and the dodgy mustache. Ben Affleck's getting so much time to play Batman in this, to play Bruce Wayne, to have interactions with every member of the league. It also actually further appreciates my opinion on what Affleck did in Batman versus Superman. Uh, the music by Junkie XL, fantastic. I'd like giving each character a musical motif. It just augments and accentuates what the actors are naturally bringing to these characters. And 
And my God, you know, as a long-time DC Comics fan and absolutely loving and pouring over Jack Kirby's New Gods and loving the whole world of the fourth world, Darkseid and all that, it's just so satisfying to see these characters brought to life in this way. Like, the look of Steppenwolf was fantastic. Darkseid is awesome. Like, and the interactions between Steppenwolf, Desad, and Darkseid, they all really brings that world of apocalypse to life. Uh, you know, and of course, I can't talk about this movie without mentioning Ray Fisher as Cyborg. Like, how good is it to see him in the forefront of this film, his relationship with his father, played by Joe Morton, so, so awesome. I just love this more adult approach to Justice League. It's great to see like this darker vibe permeate over this entire movie. You know, people get killed, people get beat up, monsters get beheaded. This is what happens in this movie, and I appreciate it. As someone who enjoys a more adult approach to superheroes, I just really like what Zach was going for in this film, you know? And again, that the look, the graphics, the CGI, the motion interaction of these characters, the progression of these characters, the reason, the motivation for these characters doing the things that they're doing all makes sense compared to the stuff that we saw in the 2017. Like they, they all come together individually in their own journey. Everyone's not jumping into this team straight away. It, and the best thing about this film is that it just allowed everything to breathe. I remember coming out of the 2017 movie being like, wow, that was just such a fast-paced movie. It was like bang, 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 bang. We're just going from one set piece to the next with no room at all for these characters. And this, you know, like you said, Dave, from the first 45 minutes, I just felt like, okay, they've got this. They're really taking the time here, building on these characters. I mean, I know I'm gushing about it. It is not without fault. There are a couple of things I do have issues with. But overall, I just think Zack Snyder did a fantastic job and it's already in one of my like top 10 favorite comic book movies of all time. And yeah, the four hours never feels long. I never feel bored. This film as well, much like I think what Zack Snyder was doing with Batman vs. Superman, it doesn't talk down to the audience. It presents its story and asks you to understand what they're talking about, the science and history of it all, connect it all together so that you have an emotional payoff that happens at the very end of the film. Sorry, I'll, I'll stop now gushing about this film, but as you can see... I am a huge, huge fan. I th I'd, I'd like to just share your, your thoughts on one thing you mentioned, which is about the characters' choices, because that's one of the things that struck me the most about this particular cut, is the, choice that these, the choices that these characters make, including Steppenwolf, they all carry weight to the choices that they make. And that was the thing that I was blown away by straight away, was that everyone has an arc which leads them to this culminating final battle. Everyone has a place and a motive to be there. Whereas I felt like with the 2017 version, it does feel like a committee made that movie. It feels like that, you know, Zack Snyder was brought in and they, you know, said, oh, we'll take 60 or maybe even 62% of what you've done and we'll reshoot some other bits because we want to just to appease to what Marvel is doing. And that's clearly what happened. You know, it's they tried to add in more jokes. They tried to add in more sexual shots of Wonder Woman. You know, there's the bit where Flash falls on her boobs and stuff like that. And it's just, none of it's funny. You know, and I, I'm going to do it, Jake, so I do apologise. But what is brunch, huh? It's like lunch, but it's also breakfast. Like, it's had this certain, people queue up for this for an hour. Like, shut up, Flash. Shut up. <laughs> it's not funny, you know, and... I, I know I feel quite in, 
passionate about that joke and I'm not passionate I hate it I hate it so much but this time around what I loved about this was looking at what was in the 2017 version and looking at it and going oh that's a Zack Snyder Chris Terrio thing not a Joss Whedon thing so there was one moment actually in particular well it's the infamous Justice League are attacking Superman once he's just been resurrected and the Flash runs around him and he turns I thought that was a Joss Whedon joke but actually, to find out now that that was in the original cut, I was, you know, really surprised, but actually pleasantly surprised because it was one of my favourite moments from that film because it got a huge laugh in the cinema. In fact, it was probably the only laugh in the cinema. And can I just add as well, what a shame we didn't get to see this in the cinema. I mean, you would have broken records, I think. Maybe not the ultimate box office record, but at least, you know, the rated R box office record i think it could have potentially broken you know like because i think uh is it it's joker it's not deadpool 2 it's it's joke thank you it's joker that holds the record i think Zack snyder's justice Justice league could have broken that record because the the whole demand for this would have carried that through but yeah as i said the the choices that these characters make feel so much more impactful and i feel like everyone has a purpose and it's not like we're just forming the league just because you know steppenwolf is there yeah just because and he's not going mother mm-hmm. mother i mean fucks mother. me yeah fucking hell i mean no mother <laughs> we i think you might have to point out to your view uh your listeners that this is going to be a very sweary show um because <laughs> mm-hmm. literally like, oh they, they they if they're listening they already know oh, trust okay. me <laughs> But it might be a similar warning in Justice League. Maybe this is a very sweary film. Yeah. <laughs> and make no mistake, I will fucking swear. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh dear. We have to be ready. You, me, the others. There's an attack coming from far away. Not coming, Bruce. It's already here. Right, so so let's get into the whole, the actual story itself, Snyder's big epic vision. Dave, I go to you first. Like like uh, Rob said up top, beat for beat, it's pretty much the same story, is it not? But I just think how it's incredible what the use of editing can do. <laughs> I can, that's all I can say. Rob, you can probably attest to this as being a filmmaker, but I'll, I'll go to you first, Dave. What do you think of Snyder's vision and story in this cut? Yeah, well, and and definitely after what Rob was saying about the characters as well, I think that that's a big element. And that's why, again, I couldn't discredit the film because of certain elements that I might not gel with or I think are a bit much because I'm like, well, ultimately, Zach still cares about the characters and the story and is a bit of what the problems I've had with Man of Steel and, and BVS is because sometimes I feel that the story or the epic nature of things overtakes other elements or it gets a bit rushed but again the time they have here is a lot better but also yeah i thought about that same element of wow you know every character has a reason to be here and i think ultimately you know you you have to sort of compare it to avengers in some way because you know before the director of that film was brought in which you know is can't get any more like ham-fisted than that but also like i said it's you know dc you know the justice league marvel avengers so of course there's going to be those comparisons 
And I was thinking about, well, you know, is this a better approach because all the characters have got a link to this story? And I thought, well, no, they are still very different. You know, the the Marvel films had their previous films, which set up, this is why they're heroes. This is why they're being approached by Nick Fury because they've done all these amazing things. And he knows that something might happen one day. And the problem they did with Justice League was try to do the same thing with Batman. So one of the scenes that, again, as soon as I watched it in the cinema, I was like, this doesn't seem right, is when you had that awful opening with Batman, like, catching um, a, uh, <laughs> you know, what's, so, sorry, what are they called? Yeah. Parademon. Catching a parademon and being like, yeah, I immediately know that this is an alien invasion and I'm going to get a criminal which is going to prove that they're flying around. It's just stupid. So... It never made sense, and that's why I really loved a lot more about this, is the fact that Wonder Woman is the one that points out, yeah, this is a thing, you know, Darkseid, blah, 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 Steppenwolf. So he's forming the team just on the basis of we need a team, kind of like Nick Fury, but not on the aspect of, like, I'm psychic and I know an alien is going to invade kind of thing. The fact that they've got an investment into the story is just different. And I always said that I uh, I had a lot of friends who said, oh, man, they should have done it the Marvel way. They should have had a Wonder Woman film, a Superman film, a Cyborg. And I was always kind of like, I don't think you do. I think you can do the reverse. You can have a Justice League film and then have all the other films later. I never believed in that. And a lot of critics said they've done this the wrong way around. And I was like, I don't think you can. You can have a good enough story, a good enough script. You know, hell, we've had loads of team movies in the in you know in the past that have just been like there from the get go. So I don't I never believed in that. And I think that the reason it works in Avengers is because it happens in the film, doesn't it? Like Nick Fury says, We needed something to drive them together, to bring them together, this moment, this death of a character, but they were all brought in for their strengths. But this film is doing something very different, which is all bringing them in because they have a connection, because they have different strengths, because they've been pinpointed by each other and Lex Luthor, etc. So I think that that vision from Zach to be very character focused, he said that he, you know, that Cyborg was much at the heart of this story, which is definitely true. Once you watch it, you realize how much more Cyborg gets to play and be seen in this film, which I guess we understand a lot more now of the the issues that Ray Fisher had, etc. And why he was, you know, gunning for this, this version so much. So yeah, I think that this film definitely, it proved the haters wrong. And I think especially the people, which I, I saw a lot of, where they're like, it's going to be the same film. I'm like, How can a two-hour film be the same as a four-hour film? That just doesn't make any sense. So, and like I said earlier, even if it was the same music, the cut, the way the things are organized and stuff can make a big difference. As Rob said, you can have like bad jokes that are just like maybe left on the cutting room floor before, which are just thrown in, uh, with a different cut but it's even the color like I always the bad thing about the, the the Whedon cut was that they they colorized and amped up the colors of something that was wasn't made to be like that and that was a huge mistake on their part to go yeah and let's take this director who's infamously like takes dark and like sort of moody sort of light in a very sort of like epic looking shots and this like pump up the colors. It's like that didn't make any sense at all. So an example I had, for example, was watching when Steppenwolf has just taken the mother box on Themyscira. I really enjoyed that sequence. I thought it worked really well in the theatrical cut. But when I was watching, I was like, something is just not right about this. This just looks really crap. And I was like, I hope it's not because of Snyder, whatever he made. And when I watched this version, I was like, no, it looks good. It looks really effective. And it just shows the difference that the color grading, et cetera, had on it. So I think that's what was so important about his vision coming through, through 
is because it meant that the stuff that was strong in the theatrical cut was continued to be strong and built upon and even better but also we just had all these themes and stories and elements that we didn't even have before as well which i think is Mm -hmm. is really impressive yeah where do you go with this rob uh in terms of um the story and you know this the vision aspect so first and foremost it's cohesive that's the biggest change of all of it it all makes sense Everything, you know, it may be structurally all over the place here and there, little spots here and there. Like there was one bit in particular, which I was like, have they just been standing there for like 10 minutes while this other scene has played out? Like there's one bit where they've decided, oh, we're going to get Superman back. Then you cut to another scene and then they're still sat there at the table standing. And I thought, have you just guys just been standing there for 10 minutes while this other scene's played out? Anyway, that's just that's a structural thing. The one thing that I'd love to mention straight away in terms of the structure and the cohesiveness is the opening sequence. The Superman, the, the, the ending of Batman versus Superman has so much meaning now. You know, the, the cry of Superman opening and disrupting the mother boxes. Of course it does. Why didn't we see this in the, the previous version? It makes sense because before I was... Want, I was the problem was before I was questioning so much of what I was seeing on screen to the point where I was going, I shouldn't be doing this. This this film should be, you know, telling me this and actually showing me this. And what was beautiful about that was we're seeing the repercussions of Superman's death. You know, before, I think a lot of people just felt, oh, he's doing the death of Superman because it's cool. When it's not now, there was a purpose for all of this. The, the mm-hmm. gods were scared of Superman. That makes sense. So in terms of vision... Snyder's vision. This is something I've always appreciated, but I've always had problems with. Now, for me, I'm like, I just want to quickly point out as well that the importance of this film right now, I think, is much more significant because here is a film that was initially just supposed to be a piece of entertainment, and it still is. It's a blockbuster piece of entertainment. I should mention I recreated the cinema atmosphere in my own home with popcorn and, you know, not blacked out curtains. Sorry, Jake, but (laughs) they're on the list. Um, But I, you know, put my TV full blown, tried to give it like the full experience. And there are cool moments within this film. But with Zack Snyder, for me, just because they're cool moments doesn't mean it services the story. So... Mm -hmm point in case music video like introductions i think it works for the flash and i think it works for cyborg but i think when it when it comes to aquaman i felt like i was watching a commercial for you know a perfume you know aftershave you know kind of thing and it also made me incredibly self-conscious of my own body because i was watching his abs for (laughs) probably 10 seconds too long maybe i don't know how long that shot lingers but it's incredibly erotic <laughs> and uh hey man look a- i'm a uh, you know i'm straight i'm happily involved <laughs> in a relationship with my girlfriend but when i was watching that i was like you know maybe yeah <laughs> <laughs> oh absolutely um but the, like i said there are moments in this where it is epic it's grand when necessary and it services the story but there are also moments where it feels cool for the sake of being cool and i think that to me is still a problem Whereas I think in this film, for Zack Snyder's Justice League, it's very much constrained for the most part. You know, there are still moments of that, absolutely, quite a few moments, but it's not as overblown, say, like in Batman vs. Superman, like, oh, why is he 
referencing the Dark Knight Returns with him using a sniper rifle to shoot a trank, you know, a tracker on the car, which he's about to chase down anyway. It doesn't make sense. But anyway, that's one thing. But coming back to the point about the significance of this film as well, that yes, it was supposed to be a piece of entertainment, but now it's now become uh, a bigger responsibility for him as not only a storyteller, but as a father. And that's kind of the theme of the film as well, is family, but also, and that's what the last epilogue is about, The two, uh, uh, please forgive me if the title is wrong, but Two Fathers, or The, the Tale of Two Fathers. Uh, I think. A, f- a Father Twice Over. Thank you. And the epilogue, I'm going to try and not get too emotional because I did kind of well up a little bit, but the dialogue that Victor Stone's father says about fatherhood, but also being a family and being a hero and the journeys that we go down, it's now prominent, you know, and so much more heartfelt now seeing, you know, where everything has gone, not just in the world, but as for Zack Snyder as a as a storyteller and as a human being. And it's quite heartfelt and it's, it, it, it hits home. So, and I also, I think we, I don't know if any of you noticed this as well, but I absolutely loved the billboard of the um, suicide prevention. Suicide awareness. Yeah. yeah. And I just thought, wow, it's subtle. It is a blink and you'll miss it moment in a way, but actually if you see it and you are aware of it there, you are not alone. Wow. I loved that. Such a lovely touch, and yeah, yeah, no, it's it's fantastic. I have to add to that that it is more now than a film. It is more than a piece of, a piece of entertainment. It's it's a movement. Do you know what I mean? This has spawned it has spawned a community. It has spawned this community to raise over five hundred thousand dollars for you know suicide prevention. You know they did that on their own. They didn't get any help from corporations and stuff. They raised that money by themselves and you have to applaud that. So this is why sometimes I get really defensive sometimes with some people criticizing Snyder fans or they call them or they call them the Snyder cult and I I get defensive. I'm like look, look you don't really understand what's happening here that it's this is more than just a film, you know. It's, this is more than about cape shit as we like to say on uh, Cows and Masks. Uh, it just means so much more, and the fact that Zach got to come back and re- like do this a second chance—this never happens in Hollywood. We have to understand that how significant this film is, just in the the, the industry in general. Do you know what I mean? So I think in that regard, this film has a place in Hollywood. In that regard, um, and as as for his vision, look. I, I've said that The Lord of the Rings is my favorite story of literature. It's probably they're probably my favorite films and you know made. They're just fantastic. And when Zach for ages he was saying I I'm making my Lord of the Rings here. You know, I'm making my my epic and I was like, "Okay, let's go for this." And as you said at the top Dave, this is if I could define this film in one word, it is epic. It is the DC version of Lord of the Rings. And I think what Zack Snyder did he did a fantastic job of really laying out the vision here. And it wasn't too overpacked. You know, the pacing, I think, contributed to the tone of the film as well. That The tone that was intended to be told. You know, the first half of this film does move a lot slower. It's a lot more drained out. But I think that's so intentional because you're, meant, you're supposed to feel this depressing worldwide feeling of the death of Superman. And it was, so, you know, you felt it so much more in his cut than you did 
uh, in that quick montage we got in like the theatrical version. Do you know what I mean? The intro that we got with the, with the slow song and stuff. And I even thought, you know, that was so obnoxious of Whedon to try to create an opening montage like that to almost intimidate Zack Schneider's style. I was like, that's, you know, that's, that's, that's a bit obnoxious, I think, you know. But in this film, you know, I actually have to disagree with you, Rob. I liked the longer pacing of this. I liked when we were like maybe 10 minutes just sitting with these characters. You know, I like things breathing. I like things being expanded upon. I like pauses in between dialogue. I like moments when the camera just sits on a character for a couple of seconds. You feel it's awkward, but it's not. I love the mo- these moments. And to me, that's really special filmmaking because I feel like you're really trying to communicate so much more without plot or exposition in just like these still moments with the characters. That's just so- sort of where I go with this. And, and I-, I think he really achieved that. And it is a d- we'll talk about later about you know, if he's going to continue, if that's a possibility. But he had a plan. Do you know what I mean? He had a vision and you could clearly see where he was going with his supposedly next two films. And if this first film was anything to go by, it truly would have been a Lord of the Rings style epic. Going to what you said about maybe his choices of how to introduce characters, because it is a, he does a very operatic style of uh, introducing these characters. I know it doesn't work for everybody. But I, I just think, because he's so in tune with the stuff that I like, like, I was loving how he introduced these characters, especially Wonder Woman with that new chant. I just absolutely, and she's standing on the Statue of Justice there. But the thing is, as I was watching that and I was loving it, I could feel the amount of eye rolls around the world from people who probably thought, oh, here, here Zach goes again, being so indulgent, you know, and, and I'm just like, ah, man, that's fucking sick. And as I said to Dave, this is... Zack Snyder's heavy metal DC universe. You know, it's gods versus monsters. It's epic and operatic in in and grand in every scale. Do you know what I mean? So, and I think he achieved that. Whether you like that or not, that's just down to taste, I think. But in execution, I think he totally achieved what he wanted to achieve. He unleashed an alien technology he didn't fully understand. He used that power to keep me alive. turned into this if you don't mind me kind of just jumping ahead a little but i will just make this one statement which is i think ray fisher's performance is one of the finest performances i've seen in a superhero film in quite some time the fact that he is literally in a mocap suit performing and only half of his face is being shown for the film and you know his eyes covered up by a red light you've seen the behind the scene imagery and he's got to deal with the death of his mum, the death of his father, the troubled relationship with his father, his place in society, his gaining of new powers. What do I do with them? And what is, and I think I said this already, but where is my true place in this world? This fucked up world. And to balance all of that and for that to be stripped away is a crime. It's, and actually... I wasn't going to go into this, but actually I will make this comment and I don't want to make a big accusation of this, but the diversity cutting in this film is atrocious. Like Ray Fisher, Joe Morton and Ryan Chow's character, uh, the Atom, and even the, 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 the women of Themyscira having, you know, scenes cut away. I was completely disgusted. I mean, 
and also, Rob, um, Cyborg's mum was completely cut out of the exactly. theatrical. Sorry, yes, of course, of course. She's completely just cut and removed from the film. And Flash's girlfriend. Oh, yeah, yeah. Kirstie Clemens, I'm just, as Irish West, yeah. No, I'm not making... Uh, well, I sort of am, but I'm trying not to, but it just seems like they've cut these characters away who happen to be black and ethnic minorities and women to service the plot for two white characters in Batman and Diana to extend their scenes. And even in those scenes, some of them may be okay, some of them are not, but it just made me angry watching this cut and thinking, you've got some terrific performances and you've got this, as I said before, Ray Fisher's performance, one of the finest performances I've seen in a superhero movie in a long, long time. I would put it up there as even with, you know, Chris Reeves' Superman. I know that's a big claim, but I really do think it's a performance which is raw, it's honest, it's got soul, it's heartbreaking, and I I became a fan of Cyborg because of this cut, whereas before I just saw him as a, a B character, which is not what I want from a Justice League movie. What I wanted from a Justice League movie is to feel the pain and the choices of these characters that these make. And I got that completely with Cyborg. Yeah, I I mean, I completely echo your thoughts that he... Wow, what a performance by Ray Fisher. But um, I'll say my bit in a bit, but I actually want to hear Dave's thoughts because I know Dave's always had actually kind of bit of an issue with oh, yeah. Cyborg in the Justice League team. So I wanted to hear... What do you think of uh, Cyborg and Ray Fisher's performance in this? Yeah, well, I, 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 in even in the theatrical cut, I wasn't, I didn't have a issue with him specifically in that film. I felt that he worked towards the story because even though that cut is still problematic, he still has the link to the mother box, and he does a lot in that film to help out and and add another element to the story. At the end of this cut, I, I still don't, I'm, I'm not a fan of cyber. Uh, cyber uh, <laughs> cyborg as a member of the justice league but i still can't help but watch this as a kind of like i don't know what else to compare it to kind of like you know say if, you know when the avengers meet the guardians of the galaxy or something it doesn't come across as like oh the guardians are now avengers it's just i still see it as like oh the cyborg has got a link to this story he's a hero within the dc universe so he's joining the team for this adventure because it makes sense um, I still don't quite buy him as a Justice League mem- member, what, you know, one of them. I still think that he's kind of like very different to the rest of them um, and he doesn't quite fit in. Um, but that's just, again, not so much in this film. I think it's just conceptually, I still have a problem with it. I still don't think he gels. Um, and I, I suppose, again, that's probably because, you know, the, the Teen Titans sort of fan in me maybe as well. Hmm. Um, but for the context of this story... Yeah, I think he works fantastically because Zack has gone. Hey, there's this character that doesn't belong in the Justice League originally. Let's make him the heart of the story. So, you know, you can't. I can't help but give him respect for that because, you know, what better way to make a character make sense in the team than giving him, like, the crucial role within the team and how, why they should be together. And especially the end of it as well, that moment where, like, he sees the mother boxes as, like, his family and the witches and stuff. Like, that was, like, really powerful. I thought that was great, the fact that he's having to bring these together. But it also means rejecting his potential future or, you know, his, his the problems of his past. So I thought that was great. And, you know, I agree. I think the 
Ray Fisher's performance was excellent. I thought he worked really well in this story. And I thought he worked well within the story that Zack set up and this Justice League. As for the cyborg as a Justice League member in the comics and the cartoons and future films, still not, you know, a great fan of it. But if they make it work for the story as they did here, then, you know, I'm okay with it. Yeah, I mean, what I'll say about Cyborg is first that I think we'll be be saying this throughout the review, and we have been saying this, that it's absolutely criminal that Warner Brothers decided to cut this much out of Ray Fisher's performance. And now, look, I definitely stand with Ray Fisher and his accusations, but I've always been a bit like, I don't really know the specifics. You're not giving me any details here, Ray. (laughs) You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. To, To fully back him up. But ju- now seeing this cut and seeing how maybe he was han- handled in the theatrical cut, I'm like, oh, yeah, as any working professional, you would be fucking pissed off with how you were treated and how your role was severely cut. So, yeah, I, I totally back him up now in-, in that regard. The accusation parts of that stuff, that's messy. That's, you know, that's very messy. So we will not get into that. Uh, but, you know, he's just got a proper emotional and fleshed out arc here. Like, you know... I found the best thing about it was the relationship between him and his father. Like in the theatrical cut, it's just sort of there. Like there's you can there's some animosity between them, but they never go into why there's animosity between them. And here it's fleshed out from the very beginning. You know, you you see the background of you know his dad using the mother box to resurrect him. The car crash scene. Like I actually the second time watching it, that scene when when his dad's in the hospital. And uh, the doctor saying your wife has passed away and your son's not going to make it either. When Joe Morton breaks down in that moment, I mm. choked up. I was just like, oh, my that God. Was powerful, like that, yeah. that was so powerful. And he sees his body there and he, you can see it in, in Silas Stone's eyes. He's like, I will save my son, whatever it takes. You can see it. It's, he's not even saying anything. You can just see it in his eyes right there. So it's everything about Cyborg and all his char- um, supporting characters. Like his mother was awesome. Like. Uh, the scene where she's in the um, the principal's office, I assume, and, and, and she's and she's talking about poverty and a family that couldn't uh, make the grades and stuff for that. Uh, I wrote one the line that she said here. Uh, Victor helped her because he's got a good heart. What did you do to help her? That was extremely powerful for me. And one part where I was just gushing over it, I was like, oh my god. Uh, you mentioned it, Rob. Is the moment where he's discovering his powers and he goes and he's. Um, I don't want to say stalking because it sounds bad, but he is sort of like web stalking this lady, like looking at her sort of digital uh, life. And then, you know, he fills up that, you know, gives her all the money. And I'm like, I think this is the first time we've seen, first of all, he's black, so it's diverse, but this is a diverse superhero character understanding poverty Mm. in this world. Do you know what I mean? And the impact it has on the average folk. And I also don't think it's by accident that Zack Schneider made that lady from an Asian background either. Do you know what I mean? I think there's something intentional in the story he's trying to say there. So that whole sequence and, the f- and that little smile, you know, when mm. she, she realizes she's got all that money and Ray Fisher just gives that really charming smile, he walks away. So yeah, he, his... Zack Schneider was right. He is not just the heart of this movie though. I think he is the soul of this movie. Like... Everything revolves around him. It is basically his arc, I think, above anyone's. So, yeah, I'm full top marks to Ray Fisher here. I think that's what worked well as well for me with the powers as well, is that, again, before with these film, well, well, this one film, I suppose, we had never really got a reason as to why 
the cyborg powers or the cyborg body related to him. And it, all it took was just that one line in that scene you mentioned, Jake, in which it was at the school and she's, you know, he's like, oh, he's hacked into this. And she's like, oh, well, he he often do, does that. He likes to like hack into things and change things. Kind of reminded me a bit of uh, Chris Pine's uh, Kirk in Star Trek when he, he cheats the Kobayashi uh, Maru test. It's that kind of like element that he was... But he, he here the character is doing it because he doesn't believe in sort of like injustice and unfairness. So apart from just poverty, it's just the idea that he doesn't like it when this woman who's clearly doing things like morally right, but just keeps getting punished by life. So he sees himself as a guardian angel and then he's like, this isn't fair that this woman has done the right thing all her life and has never done anything to hurt anybody when, they, when there are people who do go around like earning loads of money but then doing horrible horrible things that he could be there to be like well you know what i can balance that out a bit and i think that that is again an aspect of the character we, we've never seen so it's been kind of just like i can make a gun and you know that kind of stuff but we've never seen it that he can go into the internet and he can access stuff and that was what was great about his father's tape recording is the him describing the powers and who he was that that was um, all great. I'm, I'm still a bit ropey on his look sometimes, like the, the sort of weird chicken legs he has. I'm like, I kind of <laughs> preferred if he was a bit more like armored and like sealed up a bit more. It kind of works when he transforms himself. And I also find his little arms funny. <laughs> like when he, when he grabs something with his little extra arms. <laughs> I think it's because like, because obviously in the comics, uh, his dad just builds the suit for him. Uh, but yeah. in this in Snyder's version, he's born of the mother box. So that's why I think they're sort of trying to give it that apocalypse look. Yeah. More like a, a natural technological sort of body. Yeah. Can I just add to the, um, the, the point about the, the citizen of Gotham? As well, you two will obviously know, I loved that aspect. I'm sure you probably knew when I saw the, the, the fact of what it's like being a Gothamite in this city. And again, it's not nothing really been explored as much. But in this one, I thought of you, Rob. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. a it's a beautiful moment. It really is. Like it's visual storytelling, and it's you know the voiceover. It's really nicely done. And even after a hard day's work, that that woman gives her her money to the the homeless person. And I and I and I was like really touched by that. I was like, wow. So, like, even at your own struggle, you will go out of your way to give this person who is clearly, you know, financially not all there themselves either. And you would do that. And then you see the story through the, you know, the I imagine it's just through CCTV cameras that he's, you know, picking up on. And you see the eviction notice and everything else. And uh, obviously you've won the 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 Gotham Bank prize of 100,000. I'm glad it was only 100,000 because I thought. Come on, Cyborg, don't give them too much. You know, I'm sure she would probably... <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, 100,000 is, you know... Like, but even, like, it's one of those things of, you know, money can't buy you happiness, but it gives you um, choices. That's that's ultimately what it is in that moment. And now that woman has the choice to actually live a better life. And I, it just... You know, I think one of the comments that most people have said about Zack Snyder's DCEU um, films in the past, I haven't really seen it all the time in his films because I do think Superman saves lives. I think Batman saves lives. I think Wonder Woman, um, well, in more Panty Jenkins films, saves lives. But in this one scene, it really goes to show that you don't need big bang explosions to save someone's life. Sometimes just a little bit of cheating 
in a little bit of a system, but using your power to for the good is in that you it's 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 going to go down. I think as quite a unique scene actually for uh, in years time as um, you know just a really beautiful way of saving someone's life without actually having to whiz bang and you know explode things. So yeah, I was really touched by that. I don't care how many demons he's fought and how many hells. He's never fought us. Not us united. Right, Rob, let's head over to the bat. Right, okay. How did you how did you feel about Batfleck in this film? So, I have overall positive thoughts. I, do you know what I really was astonished by? Was that he appears in costume at one hour forty six minutes. If it was Chris Nolan doing this because um, he did it with The Dark Knight Rises. It takes him 45 minutes to get back in the suit or an hour into the film to get back in the suit and to, you know, to actually fully be Batman again. But you explore the reasons why he's not doing it and then finally why he decides to get back into the suit. Here, Bruce Wayne doesn't need to be in the suit to go and meet the, the, the other characters. He's just being Bruce Wayne. Well, first and foremost, because I think it'd be quite alarming just to see a guy in a bat suit trying to recruit somebody. <laughs> Again, love that line from Alfred. You know, someone who spent a life in a bat cave uh, shouldn't be a recruiter. Loved that. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I should mention as well that, you know, with, with Batman comes Alfred. And I loved how Alfred was in this, especially the line, this is Alfred. He works. For, I work for him. Loved that. Yeah. <laughs> um, great banter between the two. It felt like Alfred was very much the the quartermaster of this um this this film for all of the league members and yeah just a quick shout out to Jeremy Arns who once again did a terrific job as Alfred um in this and you know does bring pretty much I think not all the humor but uh, you know humorous moments in there as well um but with Batman his one arc which it should have been is I'm here to bring the team together that's it that's his arc. Even Alfred, and bringing in Alfred again. You've brought the team, sir. You don't need to do anything else. Batman's like, well, actually, no. I've got to help out as well because at least I can do something even more so with these guys. And then when Batman lets them off the plane and says, that's why I brought you together. Stick to the plan. Oh, fucking hell, by the way. They had a plan. That's the other thing that annoys me about this. <laughs> the final battle thing. In the, in the Whedon version, there's no plan. In in this one, there is a plan. <laughs> Why? Oh no! The the plan the plan in the Whedon thing was for Batman to get that stupid siren for the Parademons yeah. to follow. <laughs> yeah, it just makes no fucking sense. And even Aquaman says in that cut as well, which I found stupid as well. Like he's like, so this was your plan, dying. Whereas in this one, it was, I'm gonna destroy the shield so that you get enough time to get in to activate the plan, which is we'll get into that later, but. That's Batman's arc. And also realising the fact that he has to rely on faith. Now, this notion of him relying on faith of certain other characters, I think was, for me, I think, because I did have a little bit of problems here and there in terms of the dialogue. It was a little bit, uh, how's the best way for framing it? Slightly wooden at times. And I think a lot of it does come from Batman, sadly. Like when Alfred does say, how do you know, sir? And he goes... Faith, Alfred! Faith! And even the epilogue at the end, when he sees the uh, Jean Jones Martian Manhunter, he just says, can I help you? 
I just thought, <laughs> have you become George look, Clooney Batman he, here? He looks um, so just, tired in that scene. He, he looks <laughs> like he just wants to go back to bed. Exactly. He's just like, he's like, I, I, I want to join you. And he's, he's like, I, I'm willing to join you. He's like, sure. Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. We could use you the extra ask help. him a question? Do you want to do a background check? Has he ever killed somebody? <laughs> See, for me, what I would... So this is one of those moments where I'm going to be like, if I had directed that scene, what I would have done is... Get Bruce to, you know, get out of bed, be, a, you know, and see the Martian Manhunter, but have a batarang in the back pocket. And then even the Martian Manhunter with his powers could even say, um, left side. Because he tries to grab it and he's like, the left side. And he's just like, all right, what do you want? You know, so that way he knows that he's got no chance now because he knows that he's thinking what he's thinking. You know, do you know what I mean? He knows that he's a superpower being of some kind, and then they can have their conversation. But I just felt like in that pit in particular, we saw an air of George Clooney, Bruce Wayne, rather than Ben Affleck, Bruce Wayne. And that, for me, kind of drifted me off ever so slightly. But that's that's a little nitpick. I will say that is a nitpick. Mm -hmm. But I thought, fundamentally speaking, whenever Batman wasn't on the screen, or Bruce Wayne, I should say, I didn't miss him. Because ultimately, this is a Justice League movie, so everyone else has to shine. And as we said before, his arc is, I need to bring the team together, but I also need to rely on the fact that I need to trust others as well. Because this is something he's been struggling with, you know, if you know the lore of Batman as well. He's had problems in the past with teams. And, you know, we've established already that he lost to Robin. So... Can he really bring a team together and make sure that they go off and do their their thing? You know, that's another thing in their own right. So, but there is a trust there by the end. And, you know, even the, the you know, there's no jokes or stuff from Batman this time around where he's like, um, I don't not, not like, yeah. It's like... <laughs> Oh. Something's definitely bleeding. Something's yeah, definitely, something bleeding. definitely bleeding. <laughs> um, but this time around, it's more subtle hints of comedy, like from him. Like, you have a satellite, I have six. Oh, it's probably, you know, it's it's definitely a more dialed down Bruce Wayne Batman from Batman versus Superman. But that's because he's, we can say that it's dialed down because of the, the, the backlash to Batman versus Superman. Or you can see it as... Actually, this is him learning and progressing from the death of Superman and what that has impacted on him and how he's learned he's got to rely on others rather than his own kind of pig-headedness of it all. And again, that's why that scene with Alfred is really important as well, where he just says, if you can't get the, the, the cape, the red cape to charge at the ball, you know, then it's going to be worth nothing. And that's when Bruce has to clarify in that moment why He's still significant in that moment. So, yeah, Batman was cool. <laughs> I guess that's what I can just say, <laughs> really. Yeah, I mean, I'd probably I'd say I'm pretty on same level as you. I think that compared to the theatrical version, his story and his motivations don't are not really that different when you when you look at it. But I think there's a significant difference in Ben Affleck's performance when you compare to the very obvious reshoots. I think you can definitely tell by the fact he's got no uh, um, facial hair in the reshoots, that he's completely clean-shaven, while in Zack Snyder's version, he's got a little bit of stubble there. So 
and I think while it is a different version of the character we saw from Batman versus Superman, I still think it is more in sync with that character than what we saw in the theatrical version. Like in the theatrical version, it was a complete 180 from what we saw in Batman versus Superman. Like it was borderline going to like Adam West style Batman with some of the, the goofiness and stuff like that. While this one, yes, he is a bit lighter, but I think that was definitely intentional by Zack Snyder because of his restored faith in humanity from the death of Superman. Whether or not you agree with the execution of that in Batman vs. Superman, that is a completely different story. But this is, this is Zack Snyder's intention. So, and he, yeah, he doesn't come off as a bumbling fool. He's not cracking jokes in a way that, you know, that's just, what the hell, why are you saying that? And he's also not in over his head fighting uh, Steppenwolf and the Parademons. He sort of, he's, I'm a badass. I'm going to kick all these Parademons' ass. I've got all this technology. I love the gauntlets that he's got and stuff like that. In fact, I love the interaction because if we're going to talk about Batman, like you said, we've got to talk about Alfred. It's funny you mention all the moments between Bruce and Alfred because they're great, but there's also some really good moments between Alfred and Diana. And it's when he's making the gauntlets and he's like, and he's shooting. He's like, oh, look, excellent. They work. And then she's like, ah. That's uh, that was Bruce, that was Master Wayne's idea. He's like, hmm, maybe you should also make a lasso in black, of course. <laughs> I just mm. thought that little interaction uh, was fantastic. But the jokes that were there made sense. Like another one that I really liked was Bruce uh, when he's shaving in the in the um, in the in the helicopter when they're flying back, and he's like, uh, "Any news on our new contender?" He's like, "Possibly." If I had a dollar for every possibly, it would make you even more insufferable, Master Wayne. <laughs> <laughs> just, <laughs> just thought that was fantastic. And then there's also like in all the craziness action and stuff, like in the in the tunnel fight where they've got the night crawler, Alfred is so pleased that the gauntlets work. <laughs> He's like, My gauntlets work. He's like, celebrate later, Alfred. <laughs> mm. <laughs> I just think all of that, the interaction between them two is fantastic. So yeah, I think Batman comes off a lot better in this version. Uh, his story is not that different, but he does come across a lot more coherent, a lot more from the Batman we know. Do you know what I mean? A tactical, strategic leader. Uh, so yeah, uh, Dave, what did you think of the Bat? Yeah, I, I preferred him a lot here to in BVS. And like you said, Jake, I think a lot of my problems, I think come from the setup of that film is like i think that they they jump ahead too much in that batman suddenly goes oh i was immediately wrong like you know it, it comes across but again that's the the problems of bvs so on the context of this film of just opening it up and him wanting to bring the team together i thought it was a lot better because i said in i think our animated discussion that i never liked this tony stark aspect of him and i didn't feel that they did that here i thought that there was a nice balance i didn't feel again it wasn't because he was like i know the world's gonna end so i'm bringing everyone together he's just doing it because again he's bruce wayne he's got money and he wants to assemble the team but it never seemed to me to be this sort of like vanity thing and it and like rob said it, it was never in a way of overshadowing the other characters which was also great and I liked a lot more. I don't know if I've just got more used to the costume, but I think I did prefer it here. In then again, BVS, I found that he looks a lot more like Batman. A lot of people have said before he's a great Bruce Wayne, but they're not sure about him as a Batman. But I didn't see that there was that difference here as much. I just kind of bought him as Bruce Wayne and Batman. I felt that he looked like Batman. Obviously, I know that the the the, the look of the character is traditional to the, the the comic that that is based on and everything like that. But I just 
always found that he looked a bit strange with his eyes and everything like that. But I didn't have those problems here. I felt that like the armored look and everything worked a lot better for the situation they were in and for the Justice League as a whole. And yeah, like Rob, I had a few issues maybe where he just said things like, oh, Faith Alfred and all that kind of stuff. But at the same time, I did also love those more down-to-earth moments when he's shaving and when he's sort of reacting to the obscurity of other characters, like the Flash. And he's like, oh, okay, you know, when he's just like, yeah, sure. And he's just like... So I think he works better as that kind of character rather than what they tried to do originally, which was like, hey, let's make him like the leader of the team and he's reacting to everyone. It's better to have him as the sort of more serious, silent character so just sits back and takes it all in. And I think to go back to Cyborg, that was a really nice parallel that I liked about this is the whole plane aspect, is that you really got to see who these two characters are from that story element, is the Cyborg comes in and goes... She wants to fly. And for a character who's there working on a plane who can't physically fly, who like is only using man-made gadgets and has no superpowers at all, I thought that was a really nice touch that a character who can fly and has got superhuman abilities is able to understand that. And the Bruce is there like, oh, right, yeah, well, I need your help to make this fly. And I think that that's kind of what, how Batman works for this entire film is that he's there as the guy who's like, admittedly i can't do any of this stuff and that's why i think it's good at the finale he just kind of stands back and lets the superhero people you know brawl in in the the base when he sort of stands to the side and is shooting people and uses his grappling hook that makes sense to me rather than when they try to sort of over overblow batman's powers and give him like armor and he's flying around and all that kind of stuff i prefer when they're just realistic about like he realizes who he is and what strengths he brings and i think that this film did that pretty well and yeah i i I much preferred the approach like we've already said that he didn't know about the parademons um it was a nice correlation again that whole when gordon is saying about the you know oh they look a bit like you and all that kind of stuff that worked a lot better here uh, the bat signal in general, all of that worked really well. I thought Commissioner Gordon worked, played a lot better role in this story that he did originally as well. And um, I just loved uh, J.K. Simmons when he's like off with the hat when he's in the the precinct for so a bit, and you see his little like you know sw- sweeped over here and all that kind of stuff. I think that Alfred sort of worked well in this story. Like you said, I liked that he said that he worked for alfred and alfred was more of like the the tinkerer the 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 sort of tech guy i thought that that all worked really well and sort of made him work in the story a lot better so yeah i i really liked his inclusion like so i'm not as big a batman guy as you guys so i wasn't like specifically looking at his storyline as much um, but i thought he he worked well in the story Uh, One last thing I'll say about the Batman is that um, when Rob said that you don't see him until an hour and 46 minutes into this film, in the suit Mm. that is, but you've earned that first image of him because what is the first image you see him in the suit? It's that epic shot of him standing on the gargoyle. Do you know what I mean? If you had seen him in the suit earlier interacting with a character, that moment for me, when I first saw that, I was like, whoa, there it is, you know? So it just had that impact on me. It's okay. It's over. You can stand up. It's all good. Can I be like you someday? You can be anything you want to be. Uh, Right, so let's head over to Wonder Woman. (laughs) (laughs) I am so glad I'm not the only one who thought that as well. (laughs) 
<laughs> Look, I, I'm going to say it right up top. I think that shit is dope. I <laughs> love it. I love it. Does it get overused a couple of times? Yes. But I have to say, that first moment when she's standing on the, the Statue of Justice and you hear that eth- ethereal sort of chant, I'm just like, oh, yes, this feels like ancient Greece. This feels like a warrior. And boy, she was definitely a warrior in this film. Like, I've already seen some discourse about it, you know, about the killing and stuff like that. But I think it's already been very set up from Batman versus Superman that Zack Snyder's take on Wonder Woman is a brutal warrior. She you knows she does not bat an eyelid in kid- killing people. That opening scene where we see her, she takes out all those people, no hesitation. You know, especially that last guy with the gauntlets, blows him to smithereens. Uh, but at the same time, her warmth and kindness is still all there. And I think she is definitely the emotional crux of this team. Like every member seems to go to her at a time of like emotional need if you know what i mean i also especially love that moment when they're digging up superman's grave and she's having that conversation with uh, arthur curry where they you know he hate atlanteans and all that but then there's a bond there because there's a phrase that that both of their cultures say and i just think that brings arthur maybe a bit more open it opens him up to the team a bit more so diana's very useful in that sense but I do think, again, much like Batman, she doesn't really, her story doesn't change that much from a theatrical version. Uh, she still acts as like the bearer of knowledge. You know, she's, uh, she's very used for a lot of exposition. Although I will say one of the highlights of this film for me was all when she is telling that history lesson. And then we go back to the ancient times where Darkseid's landing on Earth. We'll get into Darkseid in a minute. And, and, and you know, the Amazonians, Atlanteans, everything. Everything felt so epic. And just the way Gal was uh, performing that and set, telling this story, I was like, oh, man, give me this, give me this audiobook. I could, I could chew this up any day. But, uh, Dave, what did you think of Wonder Woman in this movie? Yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. I thought that she worked well, uh, as she has in, in previous films. Um, I do, I don't want to say I have certain issues, like I said, some of it comes down to the the style of Snyder, and like you guys have said, I'm not a big fan of this whole theme thing every time they come in, I have, most of my problem comes with it, especially with Superman and Lois, and I know that probably Jake will hate me for that, but I don't like it when they keep bringing in the exact same theme every single time you see the characters, so I did find a bit of problem with this whole, eh, every single time <laughs> because i i don't want to go saying about like ethnicity and that kind of stuff obviously we know gal gadot is from israel but i never feel that they've really bigged up that part of the character i know that gal gadot is passionate about it herself and that's why she's tried to bring it as much as she can and there's an element of that brought to uh, wonder woman 1984 but i just feel if you're gonna do that kind of theme i feel it has to be with some character that has a bit more tie to that kind of ethnic sort of like background. It's kind of like with Black Panther that he has a lot of African music behind him. So to me, because Wonder Woman is often painted as this American hero, but then also this Greek goddess, there's that bit of differentiation of like when you're then showing her with this sort of like, oh yeah, Africa, uh, you know, sorry, like 
Greek goddess or like ancient music and stuff like that, it doesn't tie in quite within the way that you see it other times, especially because we see her like saving somebody in London as this kind, you know, especially because of her outfit, you know, frankly as well, this kind of like, you know, red, you know, blue, all that kind of stuff. So, but I did, again, I, I didn't sort of feel that it was a detriment. I, I appreciated it. I thought it added to the warrior aspect of her, you know, with the sword and shield and that kind of stuff. I also really liked some of the lines she said here with that Arthur Curry interaction. I liked the hate is useless line she said when he said about like, oh, I hate Atlanteans. And she says hate is useless. I thought that that really lent itself to the type of character that she is. I find it still a bit hokey when she just brings up Steve Trevor at random points when somebody's like, hey, I fly, uh, I, I can fly. And she's like, I would have known somebody who would love to fly this. And I'm like, have you said that for the last like 100 years that, you know, every time you see a plane? <laughs> you know, so, but again, I get why they're doing it. It's just film kind of like, oh, remember this character? And I, I got to say, I've not seen too, you know, again, I've tried to stay away from like too much like discourse and like people ragging on things. But I do think people can be a bit, uh, what's the word? A bit. Here, some people ragged on her in Wonder Woman 1984 for her performance, and I felt that they were doing it unfairly because I, I think that they let other stuff go without like bringing it up in other films. They give it a pass, whereas they don't in other ones. So Wonder Woman 1984, a lot of people had a problem with the tone and feel of that film, which again, I think is just the creative choice. It depends if that's your bag or not. And people were bringing up that moment where she was on the truck and she was like, you've got to give me the stone. And everyone was like, huh, look at what a bad actress Gal Gadot is. Look what stupid you know, line, line this is. And I was like, what's well, a stupid line? That's not Gal Gadot's fault. She's talking about a magic wishing stone. What else can she perform <laughs> that like? So here I felt that where she was fighting Steppenwolf in the first fight and she says like I belong to no one. I felt that that had that same element. It was a bit hokey. I cringed a bit. But I was like, well, yeah, I know the Gal Gadot could be like this. To me she's a bit like Dave Bautista in a way in that you're like they're not the greatest of actor, but you can tell that they're progressing. They're getting better. I felt that she got a lot better in Wonder Woman 1984 for example, and I I I really enjoyed her performance in that. I thought she was really good. Um, but again, how can you deliver like really hokey and silly lines like that? So again, I let that that pass, but I feel that there are people out there that won't bring this up. Whereas I'm like, well, if you were ragging on the stone line, why are you not ragging on this line? I also have to say this was shot in 2016. So, so, you know, since that time, Gal Gadot has improved massively. And, mm-hmm. you know, uh, uh, her perform. I have issues with Wonder Woman 84, but her performance in that film is not one of them. She is mm. phenomenal in that film. So people ragging on her performance, I'm like, okay, I understand. But she pretty much shot BVS and Justice League back to back. Do you know what I mean? So she was learning on the job. And I think, you know, I think she was very vocal about recently. She was in an article. She says, I was on the verge of quitting the industry. I was about to, you know, leave America and go back home to my family in Israel. And then Zach gave her the call because Zach saw something in her. And you know what? You have to give, for, you know, for whatever we get in the future of the DC, you have to give credit for Zach for casting pretty much the whole universe. And, you know, I think he's done a pretty bang up job in all his castings. Um, I echo all of your points, gentlemen. 
Dave, I think you made an excellent point, which I completely agree about the music. I do think it does try to cater to almost a Greek kind of Iranian echo, um, which for me, I felt was just incredibly on the nose. And I think it's just one of those things where you need to tone it back. You know, once is good. So when you hear it here and there in the score, it does get very tiresome and very tedious for me anyway and hearing it the second time around i was like oh yep here we go again but when the wonder woman theme kicks in and this is something i noted the sound mixing to me and this is actually a technical thing i felt like it was just a little bit off because when this when the the music kicks in it is proper bombastic and it's like whoa okay right let's <laughs> it's a great mm-hmm. theme but let's let's keep it down shall we you know I, i'm i don't know if that's just my age kicking in now i am 30 and I, oh dear it's just too much for me um turn it up turn it up um it, it's just it it felt like it just could have toned down a little bit but i'm I think Gal Gadot's performance was absolutely fine in this. I think she's still growing in the role in this film because, as we said before, uh, as you mentioned, it was in 2016 when this was filmed, 2017, and she was still finding her place in the role. And I think in 1984, she delivers the best performance um, as Wonder Woman in that film. So I I think all the hate towards her in that film is absolutely preposterous. Um, she is Wonder Woman inside and out. So I love her, generally speaking. Gal, marry me? No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> but I'm going to say something slightly controversial now, which is... Watch out. Yeah, I know. I know. Sorry. I will. I will say this, but... I do understand the brutality aspect, but when you set up that Gal and the Amazonian women have trained their lives to fight um, evil, you know, they are willing to go the extra length to kill. And she's even said before, I've killed monsters from other worlds before. So let's just get that bit out of the way. However, however, the brutality of humans to me felt very extreme in this. And again, I felt like it was another example of Snyder, and with respect, just because something's cool doesn't mean it's necessary to the story. So I'm going to make the claim and say, for me, and I felt like this with the theatrical cut, you could take out this sequence of her fighting these people in London and you would have a better film. You don't need the setup of Wonder Woman being Wonder Woman at the beginning because we've seen her do that in the previous film. All you needed to do was establish where she is right now. She's in the art gallery. Fine. The arrow gets shot. Great. Let's have a mini Indiana Jones adventure where she puts the arrow in the key. And that's, you know, it. she does this visual storytelling piece about Darkseid. Loved that sequence. Also convenient that there was matches and a stick and a fla- like piece of fabric. <laughs> All convenient. Yeah. Um, <laughs> She's an archaeologist. She knows where to find this stuff. <laughs> also... She's got some really strong heels as she jumps from however oh many feet down. Yeah. <laughs> but for me, the opening sh- action, action set piece uh, for her is cool, it's badass, it's energetic, it's fun, but it's brutal and it's pointless. It doesn't serve the rest of the story for me. Now, I'm being careful here. When she takes down all the people and everything, throws the bomb and everything else... When she does save the little girls and the teachers and the whoever else from the machine gun bullets, and then she does the two bracelets thing, 
I mean, I'm going to be one of those people, but she causes property damage, you know, and, you know, that's not what you expect her to do in that moment, especially what we've seen with 84 and everything else. You know, World War One is a different matter, right? But I love the intention that's there of, you're right, you're right, you're right, princess, loved that. And then the little girl's response is... And I have to credit myself and Vincent for this. More Vincent because he established it because we made a big laugh about it. But can I be just like you? And I and me and him just both turned around and went, what? Like a fucking murdering psychopath who just brutalized all these people. <laughs> you just witnessed Wonder Woman kick a guy so hard that he flew backwards and his head exploded. You just saw her throw a guy and his head exploded on a wall. And you just saw her destroy part of a building. And your question, young lady, is, can I be just like you? Yeah. If you want to be... <laughs> It's a quite a psychopathic young lady right there. But look, the sentiment, the sentiment of you can be whatever you want to be is lovely. But I just think if you toned down, it's one of those things. If you just said to Snyder, Snyder, one quick thought. <laughs> if you toned down this one moment, you would have the impact that you want for this and you can keep this in. But for me right now, as an audience member, as a storyteller, when you watch that sequence... It doesn't impact the rest of the film, first of all. And it also undermines the point that you're trying to make, which is you can be whatever you want to be, but when you've just witnessed somebody brutalise a bunch of human beings and kill them as well... They were going to shoot them! Yes! Mm. He willingly, intentionally was like, he's had a single pistol. He's like, nah, fuck it. I'm going to go for a machine gun and, and wipe out all these children. Nah, sorry, man. Like, you don't, there's no redemption for that. And also, like, on your thing of Wonder Woman 1984, I get it. But again, that film was made after this film. And, and, and I would actually say everything that Ga uh, Wonder Woman does in this film tracks perfectly from Batman vs. Superman and the first Wonder Woman film. Because in the first Wonder Woman film, she also has no issues with taking human lives. I go to that moment where she jumps right into the, the bell tower where that, that sniper is there, that just gets demoralized, you know what I mean? And everybody's like, way, this is, you know what I mean? Like, so, uh, granted, granted, that's, that's a war. That's a war. That's a different situation. But at the same time, look, these little girls were facing, can you imagine if you were like that age and you just saw this psychopath about to shoot you, mow you down, you know what I mean? Like, and then this goddess comes in, just takes out all these guys. And you have to remember, Yes, there's property damage, and yes, she's like caused a lot of injury, but she does it so fast, and these people are just so scared. They're not really seeing the details of what's going on, I think. So I just think they just think this woman has come and saved us from certain deaths. So look, I, I, I get it. I get, I, but I get yeah. what you're coming from as well. I just think it's a different tasting. Yeah. And I do, I will give you this though. It's a cool scene, but yes, it might be slightly unnecessary for the larger story we're doing in this film. I'll give yeah. you that. Yeah. I do agree with Rob in that, like, what you're saying is in the context of that situation, if you're going to paint it as, like, this girl is looking up to her. But also, I can see Jake's point of view as well, is that you can be whatever you want to be in that, yes, you can be this badass woman and women can kick ass as well. They can 
just as easily save the day or be fighters or soldiers as much as a man could. So I suppose that's why I took it as is like, can I be this? Can I be a soldier rather than like, you know, can I be like going around like stabbing people and stuff like that? But I, yeah, I definitely see what you mean in that context. And especially because I said from Wonder Woman 1984, I think the two versions of the character can exist. I think you can have that like Wonder Woman who doesn't kill and Wonder Woman the warrior because if you put it there with a sword and a shield, it's hard not to have that picture. But you can easily just have a film where she doesn't use the sword and shield and go, okay, I'm watching this Wonder Woman, which I think works as well. But yeah, I, I do think the scene is necessary just because everyone gets their kind of introduction scene like The Flash and Aquaman. You kind of get introduced to each character. But I do agree that they maybe could have done it in a bit better way rather than this kind of like, oh, evil, evil villains walk into a, a museum and take all these people hostage. And I will agree as well. I didn't really feel that she had to do the bracelets because what was the threat of the guy? Like by that point, she had disarmed everybody. So like you said, it was like property damage because it was like it wasn't like she was facing Steppenwolf and she was like, I have to do this because I need this power to take down this huge monster. It was just a guy in a hat who at this point was disarmed and had no th- no threat at this stage. I'll say that even though there was property damage, the hat was okay. So that's the main <laughs> thing. But, uh, so, but still, it, it was no need to really do the bracelet part in that moment, you know, logistically. It looked cool. So again, it's that Snyder thing of like, oh, it looked cool. But I agree with Rob is no, there's no actual real context or reason for it in that moment. But again, it's a small moment in which largely throughout the film, he doesn't do it too much, thankfully. See, in times of crisis for dog work, I always bring a meat snack because it makes them feel calm. Let's speed on over to the Speed Force with Barry Allen slash The Flash. I mean, I think he was dramatically improved, like to the point of like in the theatrical version, I really did not like the character. Like, I thought he was annoying. Uh, I thought the comedy was just too much. It seemed like Whedon went in. My instructions are to make this funnier. Who are my funny characters? Oh, the Flash is funny. I'll dial him up to not 11, to fucking 20. Do you know what I mean? And it was just, he was just so annoying. While he still is the comedic relief in this film, it all makes sense to the character he is. The quips are witty. They're smart. Uh, some of it sometimes can be a bit goofy, but I think it's in the performance that Ezra Miller is giving. Like he's just uh, really, he's really lovable as well. I find like I, it's I did such a one eighty of really hate, almost hating the character to being like, oh, I can't wait to actually see him in the Flash movie now. And I also think like his opening intro, I think is one of the is a wonderful example of filmmaking on how to introduce a character because. You understood how his powers work. You understood who he is as a person. Uh, it sets up his relationship with Iris. You know, in the fact, in the, the fact that this guy who is traveling at the speed of light or even faster, in half a second, it's totally believable that he has met the love of his life. So I totally bought into that, and he's just got the right amount of comedic moments, like that scene. So with that intro scene, as it started, I did think, uh oh. I don't want another Quicksilver type of scene. Do you know where it's, you know, they play the song and he's doing all these sort of funny things? I was dreading that. But Zack Snyder took it in a different direction, a more somber, more operatic Zack Snyder style, which I really appreciated. But they did have that little moment of comedy, which I absolutely adored. He's like sort of touching her her hair and stuff like that. And then he sees the hot dog. (laughs) 
<laughs> floats in there and I just love he's like yeah I'll take that put that in my pocket for later <laughs> but I love that because I was like oh that's really funny but then it's even funnier because the joke pays off after when he's giving the sausage to the dogs when he's applying for that job so yeah I thought Ezra Miller was wonderful in this in this cut you know he's got that wonderful hero moment right at the end that he's so critical to the finale of this film you know that moment where he's Going through the Speed Force, turning back time. That is a DC fan's dream to see that on screen. How, again, Warner Brothers saw that and were like, nah, cut that out of the film. We don't need that. I'm like, what the hell? How could you not need that? It's the Flash. He's going into the Speed Force, for fuck's sake. And also, there's a couple of lines that I really like from him. It's One of them is the opening when he's going in for the job interview. <laughs> Pulls out his resume and he's like, from the French, of course resume i believe <laughs> <laughs> and then there's the other one where they're in the tunnel fight he helps cyborg take all the all the the hostages outside and then he's like tunnel right aliens bad guy sword lady <laughs> and they just run straight back through so i just loved everything about him he just so such a lovable charismatic character and i can't wait to see him in the solo film now uh rob what did you make of the red scarlet I, I, I too liked his introduction scene. I thought that was really nicely played. I thought it was ultimately very charming. Um, I did feel quite concerned seeing a floating hot dog because I just thought that was like hidden <laughs> sexual innuendo or like was that supposed to represent something going on in his trousers? Uh, you know, kind of weird kind of sexual thing. Anyway, um, but then it pays off. As you said, it's the joke. It's the punchline to, oh, whenever a stressful situation happens... I have a treat for a dog. Of course you do. Um, I don't know how he's going to explain the destruction of his shoes um, in the moment to the lady. Um, that doesn't pay off somewhat, which I thought would be quite amusing to see. I don't know what more I can really say about the Flash that you've already said. I think he is the comic relief, but he's not annoying this time. That's the thing that I found better this time around. You know, the, the interaction between the, um, Cyborg, who is also a younger character as well in this, is played much more subtly. It's not played like two horny teenagers is actually played off as um two um people who are both incredibly smart because this time around i feel like barry's a smarter character and not a, a bumbling buffoon he also seems to have a much more handle on his powers in this version yes he does yes he does uh and that was again really um good to see as well and he's not somebody who's utterly clueless i loved the the, the line of what do you reckon um, a princess and a guy, a young guy like me and Cyborg simply replies, <laughs> she's 5,000 years old, Barry. Every young, uh, every guy is younger. Her. I loved that. I yeah. thought that was a great line. I also actually, just to quickly mention, I loved the fact that they were so respectful to Superman in that scene where they just said, we could do this quick. And they said, but they're not doing it quick because they're respecting the colleague or that the future colleague, I should say that they're going to have on their team. So respect, the the body the best way possible so i i liked that touch um whereas before it was an awkward fist bump between the two which again was something you'd probably see in a 90s television show oh wait he did that um so <laughs> um so rehashing a joke shall we yeah the speed force thing i think what pays off the most for me um again i know we'll talk more in depth with it but he saves the world i love that why on earth would you get rid of that and you have Shevsky instead? Oh. Yeah, sorry, oh, Dave. Sorry, no. sorry, Dave. Oh I'm so I'm... sorry. 
But <laughs> so, <laughs> sorry, Rob, but I, I just have to say, thank fuck they got rid of that Russian family. Well, look, I mean, look, to all credit to the, the actors in those, in those scenes, because they were just doing a job at the end of the day. They were told to come in mm-hmm. and do their thing. And it's not their fault look, that it comes across as very corny and this, that and the other. That's down to the direction. So, you know, that's all one thing. But I am, me too, I feel glad that they are no longer in this cut because they're not relevant. You know, and first of all, why would they be living there as well? Yeah, like, it it's feels... like a radioactive area. <laughs> Chernobyl, <or whatever>. yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, like you said, The Flash has such a bigger part in the finale here where he's not running off trying to figure out where north or west is this time he's actually speeding up to actually build up momentum to actually um help cyborg and then ultimately he saves the world which is such a bigger arc and you know while i did feel it was kind of corny some of the not yeah maybe some of the delivery but also the the lines of i'm you know dad if you're hearing this or whatever i don't feel you needed that i think you just needed the lines build your own past create a better create the future you want because you know that to me is more subtle enough you know we could i think we as audience members could have got that um straight away and i i'm still not a fan of how he runs i feel like he still runs like phoebe from friends um like this which i i'm still not a fan of but uh, i'm sure he'll get better at running which is a very strange comment to make but i'm sure they'll perfect it in the flashpoint movie which i hope is still going ahead and um I'm excited to see what Ezra Miller can do with this role because I think he is a very talented actor, especially in the film we need to talk about Kevin, which if you haven't seen, guys, I would read, recommend, highly recommend. But in this film, I found him smart, funny, charming, fast, and not a bumbling buffoon. What about you, Dave? Yeah, I, you know, like you, Jake, I think we both said, and we, when we were talking about the DC fandom, we were like, oh, why are you still keeping Ezra Miller? Oh, I'm not sure about this. But I'm surprised how much of a switch round I, I had on, on his take of the character. And honestly, at this point now, I would only say, maybe just give him some frosted tips or give him a blonde hairdo or something in the sequel, just to make it a bit more like, okay, we'll sell it a bit more to the people who want, you know, traditional Barry Allen. And again, I'm not one of those people who like, they need to look exactly like the comic book character, but it might just be a nice, you know, little touch or something like that. And it might make him feel a bit more comic accurate. And I did appreciate the scene with Iris a lot for introducing the character in a lot more cohesive way and one that tied in to the story. Like you said, it shows the speed force. It shows how his powers work. It's got a clever gag with the hot dog. I did find, again, it went into that bit overindulgence with Zach. I wasn't big on the whole love song playing, and he's looking at her because I I don't know, to be honest, that Iris West is the love of his life. So I wasn't watching that going like, oh, yeah, of course. You know, I didn't feel that it was, you know, the Spider-Man and Mary Jane moment. I thought it was just kind of like who is this and why is he like obsessed with her? So I felt that the film didn't really warrant that. And I also feel I can kind of understand why they got rid of it because she doesn't appear again. And I think that that is a bit of a problem. Actually, I, I do have a bit of a problem with everything that's set up within that scene, apart from the fact that he's getting another job that adds to his various jobs and the speed force, but nothing with Iris actually comes back. And I think that that comes down. I know we said previously like, Oh, we'll wait for the other films. I think you still should have things that built up, which somewhat close out or somewhat makes sense within the movie. I don't think you can just be like, Oh, well she's coming in the flash movie. 
I think that there still needs to be an element of like, well, why were they there? Or, you know, even if she, he just saw her on the street at the end of the film or something just to sort of close that out a bit better. But again, I appreciated everything else they give us in terms of showing his powers and all that kind of stuff. And the, the love song thing, I just kind of put down to, again, a style thing, which I was like, eh, I'm just you know not into this, but I can imagine other people would be. And yeah, I was just happy not to see, like you guys said, the stupid, you know, Russian family stuff. I think that The Flash has benefited, the, you know, one of the most from the Snyder Cut in terms of getting rid of, like, some of the, the terrible dialogue and moments and, you know, awful gags. I think that he worked a lot better, for example, in... Because, like I said, I didn't like the aspect of him saying, like, I kind of just push people. And it's just like, what? You know, why have you recruited this guy who doesn't even understand his powers or what he does? So that was a lot better. I felt that, again, you wouldn't have this, like, ultra cool suit and not understand what your powers are or why you've created it. And I, I actually liked the suit a lot more in this one. You know, when they said they're doing a new suit for the sequel, I was like, oh, yeah, thank God, because that suit looks really weird. But again, I think the Snyder look and everything made it work for for that situation so i think that i was more of a fan of that like you rob his run-ins a bit weird but again i kind of just got on board with it for the kind of like aesthetic they were going for and that kind of like otherworldly element and yeah i think i also really like that joke with uh wonder woman when he's saying about like she's you know five thousand years old i thought that that was was really funny but yeah i think it's just that that iris scene i wasn't quite as like understanding what the relevance of it was but with the relationship with those two uh, but i still felt that he he played a bigger part of this film and played a bigger purpose which i think uh was impressive i also felt his scene with his dad was a lot better this time i'm glad they got rid of that stupid squiggle on the face thing because again that's just cartoony and stupid and here i felt the emotion and the the father was a lot more just had a lot more depth and a lot more there and a lot more of the conflict you understood the history of their characters and what his expectations of him are so i i can't disagree with you there rob in terms of like him saying i'm doing this for you dad because at the end when he was doing it i was like can we really buy into him having all these like this is my moment when we haven't really seen that throughout the rest of the film and he's not the main protagonist so when he said the dad thing i was like okay well it links back to that earlier so i i i respected the moment a bit more then because it was making sort of more narrative sense that it was bringing everything together connecting the dots that kind of stuff when my parents fought in the wars she took me in what a saint you dare speak of queen adlana that way your queen left me on my father's doorstep and never gave me another thought your mother left you to save your life I cannot imagine how it hurt her what it cost her Right, let's head down to the seas with Arthur Curry, Aquaman. Now, I think, again, not major differences to his story, but he is more fleshed out. I think we have a much better understanding of his reluctance to Atlanteans and, you know, becoming the King Atlantis. There's, you know, there's several, and there's also several moments where he's just this badass. He's trying to be this stoic loner, but at the same time, you can start to see him peeling back the layers and you can see the warmth, you can see the kindness. And I think it's really reflective in that scene he has with Flash near the end where he's uh, saying, I was like, he's just lost his dad, it's unfair, he shouldn't be going into that thing. And then Flash was like, I thought you didn't care. He's like, I never said that. You can tell he cares, he's just been playing this macho surfer dude sort of guy so to not get too attached to anyone. So 
yeah, I really liked how he was played out in this. And uh, another really lovely scene I like is so funny. It's when they're about to resurrect Superman and they're going into the, the Kryptonian ship. And Flash is like, uh, okay, I need your opinion. A? <laughs> and he's like, uh, maybe not. He's like, or B? You show me A again. <laughs> I just... <laughs> yeah. Jason Momoa's nice, moment. yeah, it's so subtle, but Jason Momoa's delivery of that line is just perfection. So, yeah, I loved the interaction between all the characters, but Aquaman and the Flash especially, uh, and also when they're fighting Superman, when Flash knocks him over, and then at the end he just points at him. <laughs> mm-hmm. He's like, "This is all your fault." <laughs> and like, I think uh, Rob, you mentioned this to me in the in our text messages that. Um, it's like a double meaning. One is for like because he tackled him, and two because like this was your idea to bring this guy back. <laughs> yeah, so I- I'm really impressed with Aquaman. I also really like that in the finale, he was he used more of the trident and more like aquatic powers. Do you know what I mean? Like rather than just being like a brawler. And the Atlant the the Volko stuff was interesting. Uh, it's really weird seeing William Defoe with like really long hair. <laughs> I don't know what it is. <laughs> And then I'm going to address the elephant on the room, which I think everyone's probably thinking, is that Amber Heard and Mera is a complete... This is a. This is not even just a slight tweak, right? <laughs> this is a totally different character she's playing here. Do you know what I mean? Like, it is insane how different Joss Whedon was like, now, nah, get rid of the, the British accent and let's make her... Let's, her normal American accent and just make her a bit more lighthearted and stuff like that. I know, Dave, you disagree with me with this, but I actually kind of prefer the British accent. My disclaimer is, though, I still think she's not a good actress. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, did, I did not enjoy her in Justice League or in the Aquaman film, and even though I think it's slightly better here, I'm still not impressed with Amber Heard as Mera. Uh, but, Dave, I go to you. What do you think of Aquaman and his supporting gang? I know, I feel we kind of have to go to Rob because I just saw Rob's reaction to the mirror stuff. I was like, oh, Rob's got some stuff to say here. All right, I yeah, know go on, Rob. Is Rob, now. what is it? Go on then. <laughs> she is absolutely atrocious in this movie. Like, she is so bad. Like, I have no idea what choices were hers or if it was Snyder or if it was Whedon, I don't know. But this choice to do a British accent, which is absolutely atrocious, by the way, it just doesn't work. And we'll get to the epilogue later, but even the choice to bring her back to do that scene and her delivery in that moment, I don't buy it. I do not buy it one bit. And now I do disagree that her about her performance in Aquaman, I think it is somewhat better because I like the chemistry between her and Jason Momoa, because I think Jason Momoa makes her better, you know, because it takes two to tango, you know, and I think that's where Jason Momoa really shines and actually can actually work with her, you know, to react with each one another within those moments. Plus, I did chuckle at the moment where she ate flowers. It was a very um, uh, Little Mermaid moment, which I thought was quite charming in its own right. But no, man, like Amber Heard as Mira in these scenes, I just could not take her seriously. I mean, she has one of the coolest R-rated moments of, you know, getting the blood out of Steppenwolf in his face. I thought, wow, that looks really cool. But just everything else, I, I think she was just incredibly flat. And 
Yeah, just with all due respect, I just think out of all the casting choices that Snyder has made within all of these, you know, I think maybe that might be worse than Jesse Eisenberg casting as the Lex Luthor. In both the theatrical version and in this version, Amber Heard's mirror is just bad. It's just really bad. What do you think of all the fish boy, Dave? Yeah, I think it's interesting. I've got like quite a few points on those two characters, even though they're probably the most underused characters in, in a way. And like Rob said, it's, it, I think the unfortunate thing, and it's been the case for Aquaman all along, is that obviously Wonder Woman had the advantage of having her solo movie before this. Batman and Superman have had their kind of own respective films in some way or form. And even The Flash even though he hasn't had a solo film or any other projects, they set him up as a character who's only just discovered his powers and is telling his kind of origin story within this film. Whereas Aquaman has a, a load of history and like his mother, Atlanteans, uh, beef with the Amazonians, uh, Mira. And I think the problem I have there is that you just don't get any of that context. You do get a bit of it through his dialogue with Willem Dafoe's, was it again? Uh, Volko. Uh, Volko or with Mira but again I think it's just a part of it is just they were still getting used to the like the underwater aspect which obviously they then uh, perfected a bit more when they did Aquaman um, and there was still an element of maybe Mira and Volko they, they weren't quite fully understanding of who's my character whereas when v Willem Dafoe gets to play him as his mentor throughout the film in in the actual Aquaman film he gets he sees, he seems to understand who his character is a lot more in the Aquaman film, and I think that that is where he gets shortchanged a bit more. Is that you don't get that sense of history or what that you don't get that that legacy of when he's like it's your mother's trident and all this kind of stuff. And I'm like we don't have any context of that unless you've seen the Aquaman film. But if we're going into 2016 minds of when this was made, you wouldn't have had any idea what they were really talking about. So I think within the context of the film, that's the only part of the history of the characters which he was shortchanged compared to cyborg and and flash and all those kind of characters but i do think the aquaman come off a lot better again compared to the theatrical cut um i said to jake i think when he was like oh you know ready for tomorrow and i was like yeah you know like when he's like doing <laughs> that in the but he didn't do that in this so i and i kind of was glad about that because i didn't like how they bigged him up to be this kind of like jake said this Goof, goofy surfer dude i never liked that i was kind of like look if you're gonna do like the serious aquaman and look like jason momoa to make him a bit more of a badass than like this kind of joke and i'm glad that they didn't have that here i'm glad that he wasn't like screaming like an idiot and especially because it never made sense he's not like an airborne character why would he be like you know jumping and leaping around everywhere when usually his thing is the sea so i i much preferred that more sort of understated sort of more quiet badass element he had here and those more subtle moments like the joke with flash with the caps and all that kind of stuff and and thankfully we didn't get like stupid stuff like when you sat on the lasso and all that kind of thing all the hopes and dreams of krypton live in you now i'm so proud of you son your mother and i loved you love them come the way we loved you. Fly, son. It's time. Right, so let's now head to the big boy in blue. Or 
I should say in this film, The Big Boy in Black, I actually don't think there was much difference at all to Superman's story in this film compared to the theatrical cut. However, I do think, again, with, with lighting, editing, the performances from the other characters, uh, and the music as well, the resurrection of Superman was played out far more interesting. Uh, it played out far more impactful. And I also thought when Superman actually joined the team for the final fight, it was way more impactful because you had the scenes earlier in the film once he had returned with Lois and Martha. And I, that's a good like 10, 15 minutes where they're just on the farm, you know, having a couple of discussions. But it's so necessary because it's giving you the time to breathe with these characters. Superman is slowly coming back to his world. First with, you know, he has that conversation with Lois. Then he goes out into, you know, the, the farm. He has another conversation with Lois. Then his mum comes involved. So you're getting all these pivotal emotional moments for Superman that when he finally comes in, you know, where Steppenwolf's about to um, attack um, Cyborg, comes right in, stops it there, says, not impressed. The music of Hans Zimmer, the Hans Zimmer theme comes in. You're just like, oh, there he is. So much more impactful than in the theatrical cut. Hey, I believe in truth. I'm also a big fan of justice. You're like, so different. So different. And <laughs> of course. Do you bleed? <laughs> uh, yeah. Do you bleed? <laughs> <laughs> and of course, there's no dodgy mouth mustache mm, gate thing going baby on. Baby face. Oh, it was terrible. Although, I said, I'll mention the black suit as well. This goes on to, it's, it's another Zack Schneider thing. You know, it's awesome seeing the black suit. Of course, but it doesn't really have a significant part to the story itself. And, you know, considering this film is four hours, surely, Zach, come on, put a piece of dialogue or a little scene saying this suit would help me regain my powers because it's absorbing more sun rays. Something small, just, okay, this is why he needs the black suit. But it's, there's none of that. But at the same time, I can't deny it's cool seeing the black suit on screen. Uh, Rob, what do you make of soups? Can I just say, when he flies in and actually drops in and uh, the axe lands just on his shoulder and everything, that's a big fucking, like, judge for him to think, oh, it's not going to cut me. Because it's, it's sliced for everybody else and through the Amazons and uh, everyone else. But for him to make a judgment call and go, this ain't going to even cut me, mate. That's nice. It's not even going to, like, give me a paper cut, let alone, a, like, whatever. It's a it's a cool moment nonetheless, and um, you know it is. I you know I will be slightly controversial in my comments here, so uh, stand by. In both versions, when Superman returns, I didn't mind, even though it is incredibly corny. But you know, Superman is all about American Pie, and when he did say the "I'm all about truth" and I'm a big fan of justice, and he punches Steppenwolf, I did you know like the you know the Superman theme. I did it uh, like that. In this version, however, the reason why it works more is because um, there's much more depth to his return. And as you said, you know, the build up and actually the resurrection of Superman is actually better played and it actually makes more sense. It's not about, oh, we're going to form the team, but we suck as a team. So we need Superman to be the big gun. It's more we need Superman back because actually he's the one that could actually take down Steppenwolf, but also he can actually help us in the fight to, as we are a team and he can be the sixth player within that team. 
So that's why he works. I agree with you about the black suit thing. I think it's very cool to see on screen, but fundamentally it is absolutely pointless. Again, please don't hate me, fans. I really enjoyed the scenes with... Um, him and Lois. I have no idea why Whedon thought it was necessary to reshoot those scenes, actually, in all seriousness, because it just makes the film much more awkward to watch, seeing how rubber his lips are in that moment. Yeah, well, there you go, Jake. It's it's incredibly... <laughs> it's very uh, disturbing to watch, actually. And for our, for it our makes... audio listeners, I made a face. Just Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And it makes it, as I said, much more awkward to watch because... And it makes Henry Cavill look like to be a bad actor in the 2017 cut, which he's not, because in this, he is a very credible actor. And actually, in this film as well, he seems like he's fully embraced the role now. He's more than comfortable playing this role and playing this heroic figure. And he's in the film just enough, I would say, because um you know he's he doesn't turn up until i think what is it the chapter 5 chapter yeah chapter 5 maybe yeah, chapter, chapter 5, five. So he shows up like the last hour of the movie yeah yeah and you know he's in it long enough because again we've established the other characters and then we just need to see him play the role that he needs to play within this now having said that do i think there are elements to his superman still which i think are somewhat cruel yes i do um i think i think it was slightly Harsh, even though, I again, it's one of those things of seeing him punch him is wicked. It's great. You know, he needs to take him down and everything else. But it almost felt like torture when he was chopping off his horn to me. I don't know if maybe I felt the same, uh, if anyone else felt the same way. But that was just me. You know, it felt like I've got all this power so I can just chop off his horn. Anyway, that's just a little, you know, he's resurrected as more of a injustice Superman rather than happy, not happy-go-lucky, but... um you know, the Superman that we have seen prior. But maybe that was intentional. Maybe that was an intentional thing by Snyder to then reveal, you know, that this is the uh, Superman that becomes the Nightmare Superman. Who knows? I feel like we had a missed opportunity for Superman at the very end here where um, he's walking down the alley, the classic Superman going down the alley, change into the suit. But underneath, I, I feel personally, it should have been classic blue, red and yellow just to I say, agree, yeah. you know, he's back. This is the suit. And also, the, the, the inclusion of the black suit makes the line that Alfred says, even though I like the line still, and I think the, the line still does work, I just think having him in the blue and red suit would make the line of, if you don't wave the red cape at the ball, the charging ball, um, you lose an impact of that when the suit is grey. And also, when you have him in the black suit, and this is something actually someone else who I spoke to about this pointed out, which is, I didn't recognize Superman as much as I would normally because he stood right next to Batman, who is also a black and gray character. So I do understand that point as well. And for anyone who doesn't know the context of the black suit as well, Dave, you were saying earlier about the, um, the equivalent of the, um, you know, um, the back history of uh, Aquaman and, and or the character of... Um, um, Ky- uh, sorry, remind me of her name. Um, uh, Flash's um, love interest. Um, um, Iris. Iris West. Iris West. If people don't know the context of that character or that that thing that Zack Snyder's nodding to, it's going to be lost to the general audience. And it's the same thing with the black suit. But and having said that, the build up to it, as you said, mate, the the Hans Zimmer score, the fact that we have re-recorded lines from Russell Crowe, 
and Kevin Costner saying to him, I love you, son. It's time to fly. Show them what you're made of. It's epic. It is epic. It's a bit of a time waste moment, <laughs> but it's epic. Mm. But you got to have it. You got to have yeah, it. Yeah, it, exactly. It's a it's what I've said before about these movies that you do have to have an air of flamboyancy to them, just not overly done. And I think that's one of the examples where it's it's there and it's justified and him, you know, that beautiful shot of him above the world in the sun. It's I'll I'll take one of your um things that you have done in the past, Jake. It's a it's a chef's kiss. Chef's kiss. <laughs> Jeff's kiss. Uh, Dave, what did you make of Superman in this? Yeah, similar to the other characters, like I'm fifty-fifty with certain things, especially what you've mentioned. I think you, you guys, are definitely right with the suit. It there's nothing that really justifies it or brings why it's there. But again, I kind of just put it down to this: like Zach thinks it's cool, so yeah, you know that that kind of element. And again, I I, I don't personally have as big an issue because I think it's interesting that we've got both versions, so you can kind of look at it and go, well, which do I prefer? And I I don't even think looking at the theatrical version that I was like, yeah, that's the team or that's Superman because the other team's costumes are so different anyway. I don't really think, again, it would be like if the Avengers were stood there and then Cap was dressed in like his, you know, like his Winter Soldier sort of like outfit at the beginning, you would kind of be like, oh, that's too bad because they're all in their traditional outfits apart from him. But I think because the rest of the characters are in such different outfits, like Aquaman and Flash, etc., I think it kind of does work in the context of, you know, this is a more gritty, dark team. And also there's the idea of he's reborn. And I think general audiences could see it like, oh, cool, he's reborn. Quite often that means costume change and they get the idea of like, oh, it's, you know, a black suit. He's a darker version of the character. So I think that that works for that. Um, I do find it funny that he kind of has like a Batcave wardrobe, like in Lego Batman, like the little <laughs> costumes on show. And it's like, which one do I want today? And uh, yeah. <laughs> it kind of was interesting what other costumes were on show in there. And I, I, I do have a lot of issues with Superman as a character from Man of Steel and stuff anyway. So, I you know, I'm not going to go too much into that kind of stuff. I, I feel like Jake, you know, he carries on much of the story that we've seen in the theatrical version. And because he doesn't play that big a part in terms of, you know, character progression or having like a, a big arc or anything like that. I Again, I, that's why I didn't find it detrimental. Whereas when I'm watching a film about Superman and I feel that I'm not feeling the connection to the character or some of the important parts of Superman, that's where I, I find that affected, affected that. And that's where I found the father narration over the top i was kind of like a bit eye rolling just because again i just didn't feel that connection and and as we've said jake you know i've had issues with you know kevin costner's role within man of steel especially when he's there like you know go on son you can do this be the hero you always wanted to be and i was like well you you, you didn't want him to save a bus full of children but okay um <laughs> so i still don't buy into that aspect of it um but again like rob i felt that you know it it's there to serve its purpose and i understood why it was there i also like i said previously i don't like when they keep using the superman theme for lois and superman i get what they're trying to do they're like oh it's the same theme isn't that nice and i'm like i prefer they have a, their own theme to be honest rather than just every time they meet up like doom doom and i'm like uh, this is like the flight music i don't want to it's it's like the wonder woman thing it's just every time it's like 
it's almost as if they're like, right, it's time to feel like good about their relationship and that it's a lovey-dovey scene because they play it before the moment even happens. They meet up in a field and it's like, and you're like, okay, well, I know what's going to happen here. It's, you know, they don't earn it, I don't think. <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I'm, I, I'll push back a bit. I do think it's earned because I think it's played much more subtly in the, you know, the quieter moments between, you know, uh, Clark and Lois, but then it is full out that, that flight theme when he comes in and Steppenwolf, it's all in its glory. And I just, I, I just think it is earned personally, but I, I understand if, if you don't think that. That's fair enough. Yeah. I do want to talk about Lois because I thought that she really benefited from this extended cut. And what I'm really impressed with, one, about comic book f- media in general lately, and also this film, is how much we keep talking about grief. Um, I saw somebody reacting to WandaVision and Falcon the Winter Soldier, and they showed uh, Winter Soldier, Wanda, and they were like, oh, wow, how amazing that we're dealing with grief in both of these you know, recent properties. And it's the same in this film. We've got Cyborg clearly dealing with grief, you know, with his mother and his father. Barry clearly dealing with grief, you know, again, his you know, father isn't dead, but again, there's some form of loss there. And Lois, I felt, was such a beautiful representation of, like, the loss and grief that she was feeling. And I loved the aspect that she wasn't going to work. She was doing the same routine. She was, you know, buying the coffees. And you could just tell in Amy Adams' performance that, they, you know, she was lost. She didn't know what to do. And, like, I, I know Jake will sort of mention about that scene that she has with Clark's mother. It, it was bringing that forward even more and showing why she needed to move on and why she was you know stuck in a rut and all that kind of stuff so i really enjoyed that i thought they really added to lois's character and it made it when he arrived back even more impactful which again is weird why they wanted to get rid of some of that stuff in the theatrical cut because as they've said throughout these films lois is the key and if you go in with that storyline well continue to make lois the key yeah i'm really glad you brought up lois lane because i almost forgot about to mention her because one of my favorite scenes in the film is the scene of her and Martha Kent when Martha goes, well, supposedly Martha visits her in her apartment. And there's just it's just a wonderful conversation of, you know, Martha bringing her back from, you know, from this grief and stuff. I think and I think it's there's so much weight if it's coming from Martha. Unfortunately, I think the scene is severely undermined when it's revealed to be Martian Manhunter. Like again, it's the same thing with the black suit. It's fucking cool to see Martian Manhunter live action. Don't get me wrong, but and the first like when I first watched it, I was like, oh, oh my god, it's him. But then I was like, mm, that sort of slightly undermines the conversation we've just had. So while it's 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 a weird scene because while it's actually one of my favorite scenes in the whole film, by the end of it, it's all undermined by the reveal of Martian Manhunter. Before mighty Darkseid came to the throne, he searched the universe for the ultimate weapon. The anti-life equation. Right, let's move on to the villains then. Huge, huge, huge improvements here on Steppenwolf. Like, he actually has a motive (laughs) for once. For Mm -hmm. Rather than just, I'm coming to Earth because... I'm going to invade Earth Mother. because, mother, you know. Uh, so, yeah, he's got clearer motivations. I like the fact that he's in debt to Darkseid. <laughs> the interaction with the Sad, where he's like, you owe him 50,000 more worlds. And I was just like, mm. yo, if anyone's got, if, any, if you're feeling bad about any debts you've got, just, you mm. know, <laughs> 
be grateful you're not Steppenwolf, <laughs> I can say. Uh, <laughs> I could just, so yeah, all the interactions between Steppenwolf and Assad I loved because it just created, you know, with very few lines of dialogue, you created history, you created a law, a culture of apocalypse, you know what I mean? And I just thought it was really well done. I also thought the stone thing as it morphed into like this, I would say, uh, apocalypse Zoom call, you could call it. Like, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I've already seen so many memes of like <laughs> Steppenwolf going, Dasad, Dasad, and Dasad's being like, oh, what the fuck does he want now? <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. So, Dasad's so, yeah, on mute. Dasad's on mute. Fuck's sake, what do you want? So yeah, I thought all their interactions was great. Again, the motivations behind Steppenwolf made sense. And he was actually so fearsome and terrifying. Like that opening scene when we meet him in uh, Themyscira and he's taken on the Amazons. I was genuinely like, whoa, this guy is an unstoppable machine. I especially like that quick shot when he's covered in arrows and he just goes. And like they all just come off. I just thought, oh, that's so metal as fuck, man. Mm. You know what I mean? And of course, you know, he was rumored to be in the Snyder Cut with, oh, is he going to be it? And yes. He is here in his all glory. Oh, dark side. And I just have to say, like, the small amount of scenes we got with him were worth it. It's worth the price of admission in just seeing oh, glorious dark side. Brutal, metal as fuck. And I thought it was wonderfully uh, voice acted by Ray Porter. Like, dark and disturbing and guttural. I was really really imposing terrifying villain like Ciara Hins did definitely do a fantastic job with Steppenwolf but then when you heard Darkseid's voice I was like oh no this guy's the alpha or I should say the omega Rob what did you make of the new gods and the villains in this movie I mean first of all it's this is a love letter to Jack Kirby's work I mean my god like it this comes back to what we were saying before about um Snyder taking this world incredibly seriously And I think you do with this particular piece of work because Jack Kirby himself took it very seriously. I mean, the the idea of the uh, anti-life equation is incredibly preposterous. It is. But it works in the context of this. And when you treat it seriously enough, it becomes even more of a threat, which is why the final battle and the climactic battle of itself works so well. Because first and foremost, Darkseid wins. He does. He wins in that moment, which I found quite un- like I. You have no idea. You would have loved it, Jake and David. Like my reaction seeing this moment, I gripped my chair and I shouted, "Fuck!" Like literally <laughs> so loud because I literally thought Zack Snyder's going to do a fucking like cliffhanger ending. <laughs> that's what I thought as well. I thought, are we are we ending on the nightmare world? I was like, that's bold. Yeah, right. <laughs> I generally thought that's what was going to happen. Like, everyone was going to get destroyed. Maybe he would grab Superman and be like, yoink. Uh, but no, it, the fact that... You, and then you have the flash thing. Look, that's why that's so wonderful for me. But um, I did actually write a note down here, and I, I hope you guys understand this, of course, but Steppenwolf is really the Fredo of the family, isn't he? He really is the Fredo mm-hmm. of this... <laughs> He's just fucking useless. Like he really is. We've all, there's always one in the family. <laughs> exactly. There's always. I one also in the I family. also find it funny that he, um, Steppenwolf is Darkseid's uncle, and in these type of families, it's always the kooky uncle, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but it's just 
He really is just a massive screw-up. But in this, that's why, again, Steppenwolf does work in this cut in particular. Like, there, I'll be honest, there are certain moments in the film where I think the CGI does feel somewhat incomplete still, like the Atlantean interrogation moment. I felt like the lighting and the visual effects weren't quite complete because almost like the reflections of the purple and the... St- I was thinking, where's that purple coming from? I didn't yeah. know quite... Where- yeah, so David, you saw that as well. It was a bit like, I'm not quite sure where the lighting is bouncing off here, but I'll go with it because it's still, you know, I'm still engaged and I'm still engrossed. So it wasn't to the point where I was like, oh no, I'm turning this movie off. And no, no, I just thought that this time around, as I mentioned before, the weight of the choices that these characters makes impacts the story. And for, uh, for Steppenwolf to be given this, um, this um, backstory and this history with his troubled uncle is, is justified. And it's, uh, I completely buy it. I completely buy it. And as, as I said, he's the Fredo. Um, and I liked the fact that we introduced the dark side because Steppenwolf, Steppenwolf discovers the anti-life equation is on Earth. I loved that because I know a lot of people have are, have said, well, if you know, I know that they failed before to try and getting the mother boxes off Earth before. But why didn't they try again or anything like that? It's because they wanted to go to other worlds to find the anti-life equation. So the fact that they lost on Earth this time around, and yeah, sorry, go on. I, I I got I got a different vibe out of it. I got the fact that they knew the anti-life was on Earth, failed, and then they just you know because the galaxy is so infinite, they just forgot where that world was. They lost that world. Do you know what I mean? Oh, that's and like, interesting. Si- and, and then yeah. since then they've been because Darkseid says I have turned a hundred thousand worlds to dust looking for the anti-life looking for those who robbed me of my glory. So I think that's tying back to Earth because he knows the anti-life is there. He's just forgotten which world that was. That's interesting. I will, uh, I will finish that line because I just think it's so metal that he says, I will stride across their bones and bask in the glow of anti-life and all existence shall be mine. I was just like, yeah, man! Yeah, it's... it's uh... I mean, as you said, it's a it's an apocalyptic Zoom call done right. Um, <laughs> Deppenwolf, can it be true that you have found it? I have, great one. The lost world is Earth. I will stride across their bones and bask in the glow of anti-life, and all of existence shall be mine. Uh, let's get into sort of like the big action sequences because this is Justice League. And of course, Zack Schneider is either famously or infamously known for whatever you want to go for his big set sequences. So I think, again, they r- remain mostly the same. But the difference here is editing. Like, I genuinely hope every editing teacher in the future sh- shows their students both versions of this film to show them what the difference editing can actually do in a film like in the theatrical version all the action scenes are played out very quick uh, especially like as they go from like from Themyscira to Atlantis you know just collecting the mother boxes it's just like bing 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 we're going and th- there's just not enough payoff I think and there's no setup for in the action but here in this version Snyder I think he takes the time he uses the slow motion which he's very famously for effectively I think uh, and he does a really good job, I think, in setting up, you know, to set up the action and to set up the dynamic uh, of this set sequence. So, I mean, what did you guys think of the the action uh, set sequences? And is there any particular one that highlights to you? 
I think as well, like the visuals and action scenes very much tie into like one of the biggest parts that I love this film for. And it's just something that comic book films are able to do a lot more now is that 10 years ago, maybe even like five, six years ago, there was always that kind of like, hesitancy to go too faithful and you know thankfully we've had loads of comic book films and stories in which they're able to do it but years ago we might have had just a man who was like painted gray with some sort of outfit that looked a bit like dark side but it wasn't quite dark side now they're like yeah let's do these characters fully and i think it's unfortunate that it's weird that the theatrical cut again they were like yeah we want to build up our own avengers and then get rid of like the big bad that's like the thanos equivalent i find that weird that they just got rid of that so i really appreciated in this film that every time we saw the villains like said the the tablet stone thing it was like so visceral it was like you know like lava like really striking red and with steppenwolf especially like his design i was always like uh, is this a bit overindulgent is it just looking badass for the sake of it but I, when I saw the film, I liked that it, it had a purpose. Like you said, Jake, with that, with the arrows were crushed, it was like the armor was like living and it made sense to how he was using it. And again, it just, it pointed out that the theatrical cut was such a boring standard kind of look. Like I'm a just generic Roman looking warrior kind of guy with horns. Whereas this like had a lot more personality to it. It was a lot more alien and the armor had a lot more purpose and the way that it moved um i thought was fascinating i really like kept looking at it like oh wow look at the way that they're doing that and the way he can break things off with it i thought that was really cool um and i i especially loved seeing that with uh Desaad and dark side is that they they just went there they were just fully the characters on screen i loved their voices and every time you went to those villain sh- you know scenes when they're in the base and Steppenwolf is saying, you know, we've gathered enough energy to do this. It really appealed to me because I think it kind of taps into my Saturday morning cartoon Power Ranger kind of like, let's go to the villains. And they're all there like, what are we going to do now? How has the plan <laughs> progressed? And they've all got these stupid, ridiculous, evil voices. But it's not goofy. It's not stupid. You take it seriously because they're taking it seriously because they're giving them the visuals that they deserve. And you have like great voice actors or actors in general doing these performances and it's just the kind of stuff that i love and i felt that like a lot of superhero films were lacking that for a long time especially in regards to i said with age of ultron that we never had the presence of a a villain like ultron because he was just kind of there being casual the entire time we never had him there in a throne being like i am ultron i'm going to take over the world of robots thankfully we eventually got that with thanos and you know this film is doing a similar sort of approach of being like yeah this guy is a badass he's killed thousands of worlds like jake said he works in loans of worlds you know currency of like pay me back in uh, fifty thousand worlds and all that (laughs) kind of stuff and yeah so i thought that the visuals really added to how amazing these characters were and really sold the end scene you know so when they're there in the portal and they can see them you're like oh shit you know like oh my god what's going to happen they can see everything that's happening and it kind of brought on like, I don't know, like a black hole like kind of effect. Or, you know, when like the villains, like when they're trying to open a gateway and they're bringing in like some threat. It was almost like that. It was like, oh, no, you need to like close that before the real threat comes here kind of kind of aspect. So I thought that I thought that was pretty cool. And I thought the visuals 
and the action especially because i've seen some people say oh like the action is really bad with Zack snyder but i've always thought that was like one of his biggest strengths because i could think you can see that between the two wonder woman films as much as i did like wonder woman 1984 she got rid of Zack snyder's sort of action stunt team and i think that was to the detriment of those action scenes into that film because in the first wonder woman film there's a good balance of Zack snyder's action and patty jenkins more so like natural approach to the character and morals and story and that kind of stuff so yeah i thought the action was was always really like great always like really kicked ass always like really like you could feel each punch and hit and all that kind of stuff it, it was really cool what about you rob um so i think in terms of the visuals and stuff you know this is just pure snyder fest you know like it's it's uh snyder galore you know it's um and if you're, you know, if you're a Snyder fan, then you're 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 in for a bigger treat as than usual, you know. And in terms of the actions, because like, uh, there's not much more I can really say about the visuals, because you know it's the same thing as I've said before. If it looks cool, as long as it serves the story, then I'm happy with that. But when it's not, it's it feels incredibly self-indulgent. And look, there has to be a fine balance between the two things and serving the purpose of the story and there for the audience and everything else. So, you know, I'm fifty-fifty on that. In terms of action set pieces, I loved the fact that the Themyscira scene with the mother box was extended because there was so much more weight to uh, Diana's mother making the sacrifice of her sisters. Because in, in the first film, we didn't see that. And in this one, we see her at the edge of the, you know, seeing it all completely destroyed and knowing that she's had to sacrifice, in her eyes, her sisters. And she cries. And the the destruction of and the action in this film serves a purpose that also, you know, it serves the purposes to the characters and builds them to be better or maybe not better. And for the, in this case, it was, I'm weakened at this moment and I've left myself open in that moment to, to see that the Parademons and Dark, uh, not Dark Side, um, Steppenwolf come out. And that's a mistake on her part. Because what she should have done was focus more on the box because she, you know, overwhelmingly thought, you know, the box is going to be away now. And then she's got to try and catch up with them. So that's where the drama kicks in there. So I really appreciated that. And I think, <laughs> I was just going to say, I think it's really difficult to, but having said that, I've not directed a film where you've got loads of people in an action set piece. But I think it's a very difficult thing to do to give everyone a spotlight moment in this especially in this is of course of mentioning is the final battle where the rest of the action serves the purpose to move the push the further the story forward to the climactic battle so that's why in my opinion the action is very much downplayed to this point where the final battle needs to feel grand and epic and it does and you have every character having a moment to shine whereas before what we had was every character had a moment to try and shine but also throw in a quip here and there which, to me, if there's a sense of urgency of the fact that the world is about to be destroyed, there's not enough time to throw in a quip here and there. And this is a problem I've had with the Marvel movies as well. You, there's a sense of urgency in, in a situation that's going on to reveal that a character's called Boner. Give me a fucking break. Seriously. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, if there's a sense of let's, urgency let's, going on... Let's not go into that, Rob. <laughs> we've well, already sorry, been, but... We've already been down that rabbit hole here. <laughs> fine, fine. But just, for me, like, it, it, it downplayed her character, is what I'm saying. Whereas in the final battle here, 
what we have is the team being the team. And that for me, seeing that, you know, I think you mentioned it before, David, like it's almost that Saturday morning cartoon feel. That's what you get here as well. You have everybody playing their part and being the team. You don't have Batman, thank God, putting on his radio and having, you know, the the bugs chase after him, which is just mm. like, what the fuck is going on here? Like, come on, you damn insects. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And although that that line is still in in this cut, though. <laughs> Yes, it is. It is. And uh, but it's, you know, it's played better this time around because there's a purpose to that line rather than before where it was it was just said because it felt like it was said just because Batman needed to say something, you know, but actually this time around it was more, you know, in the moment kind of thing. And that's important as well as having the in the moment action. And as I said, everyone has a time to shine within all of this. And, you know, the also, just to clarify the whole beheading of Steppenwolf as well, Wonder Woman is in every right to do that because she he killed her sisters. He killed a fuckload of her sisters. So, you know, she is justified in that. And she said as well, I've killed other monsters from other worlds before. So she's clearly done that before. So she's in her own right to do that. And I love the manipulation from Steppenwolf as well, like in that moment. like He's like, you are not there to protect your sisters when really he's just... You know, well, yes, he did kill a bunch of sisters, but he's saying, I killed your mother. You know, and he's like, that's not true. He's just trying to get in her head, like, which I thought was great as well. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I don't know what more I can really say about the action is just that it's just very competently directed and really nicely produced in terms of visual effects and um, just cinematography as well. And of course we get, I don't want to say it this way, Actually, do you know what? Fuck it. I'm not going to say it because people have other other people have said it as well. But we get our Justice League frame moment where they're all oh, there. The splash as the page heroes. moment. Yep. It's great. Yep. It's great. I said to Jake as soon as soon as I saw that moment, I was like, Jake is absolutely losing his shit as he's watching this right now. And the the one thing that makes me laugh about that moment though is that it's like Wonder Woman, Flash. You know, like they're all like <laughs> the car. This is who I represent. <laughs> yeah, a car. <laughs> you know, like Batman's like, I am a vehicle. I am a vehicle. <laughs> I was just about to say that. I was going to say at least have Batman eject out the car and just yeah. do one of those. Although I will say we got some killer Batmobile action in this cut, though. When he's yeah. ripping yeah. through those parademons, that that was played so much better in this cut uh, than it was in the theatrical cut. Um, yeah, the final battle's great. I, I, like you, I think actually one of my highlights was the Themyscira battle with Steppenwolf's arrival. I just thought that was really well choreographed with all like the Amazonians and stuff. And like you said, like it's really well directed, all these action scenes. And look, you as a director can say this. Action scenes are arguably one of the hardest things to direct because there's so many moving pieces in an action scene, Christ. And when you, so I just think it's a testament to Zach's style of directing. He knows how to direct action. Like, and the fact that this film was pretty much filmed entirely in a studio. I mean, that, that Themyscirian scene, that is not on location. You know, that's entirely green screen. And for Zach, you know, he's such a visionary and a visual filmmaker. It takes a certain amount of skill to be able to tell all your actors exactly what's going on so they can get the best performances in these scenes and i think he does that you know what i mean for them to fully understand you know there's this big spiky dude in front of you and to play off that wonderfully i think it shows a certain skill as a director we live in a society where honor 
is a distant memory. Isn't that right? Batman. Let's go into the epilogue. And as usual, I'll be the bigger man. <laughs> right, let's get into all this because there's a, there's a lot going on here. Now, obviously, this... Um, First of all, the, the epilogue, like half of it, I'm okay with. Like it's wrapping up all the stories. You've got uh, the montage of all the characters as they're going their separate ways, which I love. While, uh, as you mentioned, Rob, you've got the voiceover by Joe Morton from the the voice recorder, which I thought was fantastic. It just ties the story perfectly together. But then we get into the scenes near the end. Now I, I'm cool with the the Lex Luthor scene because I, I knew that Zach had originally planned that. Uh, although, even though it whiz, uh, whiz, was in the Joss Whedon cut, uh, it's played out completely differently. And it, it sets up the the now-cancelled Ben Affleck Batman film, which was going to have him facing off against Deathstroke. Uh, but then we get into, obviously, the nightmare scene, which is the one that Zack you know, re- uh, did reshoots for, where he brought in Jared Leto back as the Joker. There's a lot going on this scene. And I will say... While I like everything that's going on in this scene, very much like I liked everything going on in the nightmare scene in Batman versus Superman, I was like, why is this scene here? It just felt a bit tacked on at the end. I get it, you know, I, I get Zach is maybe having a bit of fun with the fans. He's like, oh, I've got an opportunity. Let me shoot this really qu- quick scene sort of thing. I get it, you're having fun. If he's thinking this might be the last time I get to do a DC film, I'm going to bring in the Joker. Why the hell not? Do you know what I mean? That's, I would probably do the same. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, I feel as if like it just didn't flow well with this story that we've just watched. However, the interaction between Joker and Batman, I really do like. I, felt, I really felt from the performances of Ben Affleck and Jared Leto that you got their brutal and bloody history together. Um, you know, the, the, you know when he's talking about holding Harley Quinn dead in his arms, I was like, oh, wow, fuck, that's really visceral and, and a, a graphic image. And uh, so, yeah, I really liked the way it was played out. I did think Jared Leto redeemed himself as the Joker in this. I thought he was a very, very good Joker in this, intimidating, you know, but also playing with Bruce's emotions, playing with Bruce's head. The fact that he knows he's Bruce Wayne adds a total different layer to their relationship as well, which I love. So I really liked the actual scene and the interaction. I just felt it didn't feel as a part of the film we just saw. Uh, Rob, I go to you because you being the the Batman guy that you are. Um, I actually wrote down here, I think Jake will hate me for saying it feels tacked on. Um, I generally did write that, <laughs> so I'm, I'm glad that uh, you agree, and I will scribble out that note later. Um, <laughs> the, so, as I mentioned before, you know, the epilogue starts off beautifully with um, the, the closure of the story. I just wish we had the yellow, blue, and, you know, the original costume for the, that shirt reveal. Um, Lex Luthor is a dick for saying that uh, Bruce Wayne is Batman to Deathstroke. I thought that was a real dick move, but I thought that worked. Um, with the, the nature of his character. Uh, we got a hint at Arkham Asylum, or Arkham Home, should I say, which I, I quite liked as well. Uh, they changed the type they put uh, for the emotionally troubled. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I quite liked it. I quite liked it. But then when you get to the the nightmare of 
so this is doing two things. On the one hand, it is tacked on because it's uh, because it is tacked on. Um, it was not um, part of the original shoot. Like, you know, yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's not part of the original shoot. You can clearly tell it's filmed during um, COVID. COVID. <laughs> yeah, COVID, because they're only shooting in close-ups and you have very few wide shots in between. And obviously, you can clearly tell that Jared Leto and Batman are... Uh, sorry, uh, Ben Affleck are not in the same scene together. They are clearly reacting off one another through the scenes that they've done. Mm-hmm. I will say as well, um, Zack Schneider did this in his backyard, this scene. Yeah, which is, again, it's absolutely incredible. You know, like, I commend anybody right now who's filming during COVID as well. I've done it myself, and it is tough because you've got to up your budget by 25%, first of all, um, which is frustrating. But um, also the precautions that you have to go through and actually wearing a, tw- uh, a mask 12 hours in the day is very, very difficult and I can't applaud the NHS staff enough for that. So I'm not going to lie and say that I didn't like uh, the delivery of, and believe me, I will fucking kill you. Because trust me, I think most people would <laughs> probably expect Batman to say that now to the Joker. Because their relationship is symbiotic. you know. And even the Joker says, in any multiverse that we find ourselves... You know, it's, you know, we're destined pretty much. That's what it means, really, is that they're, they're destined to be together in this relationship. And also I found it very quite disturbing when he said the reach around thing. I thought, I saw that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, um, sexual, okay. sexual tension there. Yeah. Sexual tension. Exactly. And I loved his design as well. I loved the fact that he was wearing a jacket with the police badges over the top. It's almost like a trophies thing. It almost felt like a General Grievous, you know, um, addition to my collection moment. Uh, Zack Snyder has said that one of them is Commissioner Gordon's, that Joker killed Gordon as well. Oh, of course it is. Well, of course it is. Of course it is. But on the one hand, I think it's interesting to see what we could have got, you know, because it, it is Zack Snyder's way of closing off little bits of things that were set up before like you know where this future thing is you know who's a part of it and everything else and obviously the what could have been but on the other hand it's a very clever move by Zack Snyder because now people are going to say reverse the Snyder restore the Snyderverse and now that is trending that is now becoming a trending thing of I want to see where this goes do I want to see that? Part of me does, but part of me appreciates the fact that Zack Snyder wants to move on. Because we have to fundamentally remember that in this epilogue... Uh, I, I don't know, Rob. He's, he's been giving... <laughs> I th- he's been giving out so many hints that I, th- I think he would be fully on board to do his sequels. I think he would be, but I don't know if he'd be able to trust the, the system again. That would be my thing, because if I had gone through the journey that he's gone through to make just this one film and want to go through all of that process again, I would have second thoughts. But the ball's in his court now because he has now shown that this film was the better version of the film that Warner Brothers wanted to release. It has got overall the critics enjoy it and the audience, you know, are again overall loving this film. Uh, it's getting a lot of streams from all different different streaming services where it's available. So the ball's sort of in his, in his court. He could basically be like, look, this is what I've given you now. 
very much like Patty Jenkins did. You know, after the success of the first Wonder Woman film, for the second one, she doubled down and was like, now you're going to pay me what I'm due. And she became the highest earning female director in Hollywood history. Do you know what I mean? So I would say let's let's wait and see. But I definitely feel as if if Zach wanted to, the ball's definitely in his court to maybe have more creative control. Yeah, absolutely, for sure. Um, but I just think that there there is going to be that difficult choice to make of, do I want to go through the same process again? And look, and as I said before, not to delve too much into it, because again, it's a lovely way to end the film as well. Um, but this film is dedicated to um, his daughter. And uh, rightly so, because I think she would be proud of the work that he's done with this. Um, and the, the journey enough to get through to what you know what he went through to just get to this point when you look back over it it's been a seven year no hang on so 2016 2015 you know it's been it's been a six year journey just to get to this point and so much has happened you know that will come into play to the choice that he has to make so that's why I say it's clever because ultimately you can feel satisfied by what you've seen here because he's finally done his scene that he wanted to do with Batman and the Joker. And ultimately this Batman moment is probably the, the, the definitive Batman moment for a lot of people watching the Snyder cut because it has that great line that he says to uh, the Joker of, you know, I will fucking kill you. But it also does set up the possibility of him potentially returning and actually selling this idea to the fans so that they can get the support to go even further and make them believe they have the control now to actually push this forward because they've done it in the past or as I said, should say in the present now, is this going to be the way forward? I really don't know, but as a closure to Zack Snyder's justice league, I, I feel yes, tacked on, but I didn't, I wasn't disappointed. It was basically having your scoops of ice cream, having your chocolate sauce and strawberry syrup, and then just having sprinkles thrown in just for the sake of having sprinkles. Because you just think it might add something extra. And it does. But yeah, I could have done without it and just ended the film just simply on the S reveal. Because as the film and the symbol does resemble, the film is about hope. And I think closing on hope should have been the last point dave what do you think of the epilogue and this nightmare sequence i do find it kind of fine kind of find it funny that batman says to everyone by the way i had this really weird dream in which like barry appeared to me and everyone's just like oh right that sounds a bit weird whatever <laughs> it's just like <laughs> it's just almost when somebody says like this really weird like awkward thing and everyone's like it's a bit weird this, just move on from that uh, weird conversation uh, yeah, I, I kind of expected like the same thing. I guess it kind of makes sense that they were waiting till the end because they were like, oh, keep people hooked in for as long as possible. But like Rob, I wish they kind of just left it with the the definitive version of the Justice League story. And I think as a whole, it didn't really affect my viewing. I, I don't want to say I have massive problems with this ending because I still felt that that ending was the ending. But... Jake, you know what I'm like with sort of technicalities of like end credits and go into the credits and what you play before or after them and that kind of stuff. And I said to one of my friends, I was uh, dropping something off. I ironically, I was dropping off a Flash costume to one of my friends uh, for Red Nose Day. And 
he hadn't seen it yet and he was like i was like oh i just watched it today and he was like what was it like and i you know i said i enjoyed it blah 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 um, and i didn't want to give too much away i said oh the heads up though because i think this will be useful to you the ending is not kind of like credits wait for it they throw it all at you at once so just be prepared for that and he was like okay and once he watched it i said did you see what i mean and he said yeah and i felt that's what I felt like I was watching. I felt like I watched like three end credit scenes just chucked at me like all at once. It just felt like Zach was like, yeah, let's get them all out there. And it felt, it felt like they were kind of trying to be like anti end credit, post credit scene. And I was like, why have you done this? I don't get why you've ruined your ending and your story by just throwing three completely random scenes all at once. And I thought that it just was strange because even if you don't want to be like Marvel, that formula kind of works because you break up your story. And it's not just Marvel that does it, you know, hell, like Pixar and all different film companies do post credits and end credit scenes. And it works because your brain is sort of like moved or changed or like had a, a bit of a break. So to go from like one thing straight to another like that, you're like, whoa, what's happening here? Especially with the nightmare thing. And my biggest problem was with it. I was kind of like, okay, this is kind of going to be like a you know fun little five minute thing. Is this just the future or is this another nightmare? And the more it went on and on and on, I was like, this can't be a nightmare. This is too long. So then when he woke up, I was like, I found it just really in disbelief. I was like, you know, because again, I suppose the way the dream and nightmare sequences usually work in films are not usually like a 15 minute scene in which then somebody wakes up like, oh my God, you know, you were just like, it doesn't work for me in terms of that formula to have somebody wake up after 15 minutes. Usually the, the gimmick of waking up from that is that you see something, you're like, oh my God. And then they wake up and you're like, oh, thank God. But it doesn't work as well when it goes on for that long because it just does. It takes away the aspect of it being a nightmare and it being a reality because it it's so specific and there's so much dialogue, and especially because we know the Zack Snyder is showing us what potentially would be in the sequel. So it's got this weird presence of being is Batman like now a future teller? Is he seeing the future? That kind of stuff. So it kind of goes back to the problems I had in which he knew that the the parademons were around and that kind of stuff. And I never liked that in BVS. I never liked that whole like vision thing I had. I felt it was too on the nose, too hokey. Like, oh, we got more films to come. Let's all cram it into one. So, and I didn't have as much of the personal connection with the Batman Joker stuff. It was nice to see Jared Leto back and have a bit more fun with the role and get to see him finally have banter with Ben Affleck's Batman. But I wasn't quite sure with the dialogue as much either. I, I. I don't know about you guys. Maybe I haven't seen enough like recent Harley and Joker stuff. But when he said like, oh, you know, when I killed Harley, I was like, why are we still at this stage in which like people don't understand the Harley and Joker relationship? I was under the impression that he wouldn't give a shit if if she died because it seems like they're going off the Suicide Squad approach again, which I'm like, that's not the characters. Stop making it a love story. It's really not a good message to put out there. So that I didn't get. And again, Amber Heard was really bad in this. And it, it kind of screamed to me like DC animated film where they're kind of like, oh, we're in a post-apocalypse and we've got these random animated, you know, the side characters and, and <laughs> Cyborg in the cloak and stuff. I just thought it was a bit stupid. And I was like, you know, like Ezra Miller, like I have a beard now. It's the future. I, you know, it's, I just didn't. I saw it for what it was. I just took it for what it was. I just watched it kind of like, you know, this is what it is. But I just didn't get anything from it. I just thought it was like, apart from the Joker 
Batman dynamic. I just was like, at the end of it, I was like, I don't know what service, what, what that served the story. And it kind of took away from the ending for me, especially in the context of giving us one end credit scene and another end credit scene, but not even before the credits. Yeah, I do want to say that I, I, I prefer that they did the original end credit scene with Lex Luthor. Um, I do like uh, Jesse Eisenberg as Lex Luthor, actually, especially the more I watch him. Um, and I think that he really sells the character, especially with that look at the end. I love the suit. It was a really, like, you know, tailored, like, I have money kind of suit. And I think that it works better than being like, we're setting up the Anti-Justice League. Because, again, I always felt that in... In that film, I was like, this is too soon. You can't set that up this quickly when you've only just established these heroes. So, yeah, why not, you know, tease this film that might never happen kind of thing? Because it's better than teasing this big team that might never happen. We'll see. I mean, do, do you guys think there's any possibility at all that the Snyderverse could live on? There's always hope. That's all I'll say. There's I have faith. Hope. Alfred, faith. <laughs> have faith. <laughs> I, I think considering DC's approach to creative control, it could happen. It's just depending on who in DC is willing to do it. If it's like, if HBO Max is its own thing, then they could possibly be like, yeah, because I, I think the Warner Brothers structure is quite weird. I can't specifically remember it, but I know that there's people who's like in charge of original movies and original TV shows, and then they work with Warner Brothers and HBO Max. It's not like designated to their different services. So if Walter Hamada doesn't have a say in it, then potentially it has a good chance. And as long as Zack Snyder can say, if you give me full creative control, I think there's good chance. And if it can exist as its own thing on HBO Max or they make clear this is the Snyderverse and not the overall DC universe, I think it could work very well and I think it could be successful. And like Jake said, a lot of people are reacting well to this, so I, I could see it happening. But like Rob also said, I don't know whether the history and everything that's happened, whether you'd want to go into that knowing all that, especially considering you've got problematic people like Ray Fisher not in terms of, I believe he's problematic, but there is that situation going on. Amber Heard, all these I, kind of things. I also, it's funny you mentioned that because the epilogue, the nightmare scene, in there you have Ray Fisher, Ezra Miller, Amber Heard, and Jared Leto. <laughs> all, all four very problematic people for Warner Brothers. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And, yeah. and I, I know there's a lot of people who have, you know, well, we know there's a lot of people who have problems with Amber Heard, but there's definitely a lot of people who have problems with Jared Leto, especially. So, you know, that's... Yeah. But yeah, it's funny. I think if they are to allow a Snyderverse into this, then this completely opens up the idea that I've kind of had, which is what they're doing right now with DC Comics, which is Black Label Comics, Elseworlds, you know, multiverse storylines. They've already hinted at the idea of doing multiverses within this, the control of the multiverse. You know, Flashpoint will probably more likely explore that as well. Good, well, because we are getting Affleck in the Flash movie, aren't we? Yeah. We are, exactly. And, you know, we're getting Matt Reeves as the Batman. We're getting, we've got Joaquin Phoenix's Joker. We're getting different incarnations of now Harley Quinn and, you know, her adventures, as well as, you know, the amazing animated TV series of Harley Quinn and stuff like that. You know, all of these are completely, you know, obviously different and elseworld in their own way. But we've had the TV Flash and Ezra Miller's Flash meet on screen as well. 
So it is plausible they could do this. They could actually um, do Elseworld movies as well. Let the creators, and this is fundamentally, I think, one of the key lessons I think Warner Brothers have finally learnt with this now is let the creators create. Let them do their job. Let uh, Give them the, the freedom of control over the story and actually let them tell the story. And stop pulling them in completely different directions i uh, you know fundamentally i think just give the creators the creative control uh and you'll get gold um like Tolip, Tom phillips's joker and you've got um in my opinion i thought um wonder woman was great um i thought shazam was enjoyable and you know i think giving the freedom back to the the creators because that's why you're hiring them at the end of the day they're not they're not puppets Thank you. do you think she'd ever go for a younger guy She's 5,000 years old, Barry. Every guy's a younger guy. Right, before we get out of here then, let's finally finish this podcast with our sort of final words. Uh, I'll start this off and then, you know, we'll go into you guys um, and then we'll go into our sort of farewells. I mean, as you can tell by my excitement through this, I highly recommend this movie. I love it so much. It's well worth your time. There's no way you can just watch it once if you love it. I think it will... It's, it'll put that thing in you that will keep you going back to it over and over again, exploring different scenes, spending time with these characters. I think it's a very graphic novel approach to these characters, a more adult approach, a more brutal approach, a grittier approach, a more honest approach, I think, uh, but while still retaining what these characters represent, which is supposed to be the best of us you know, and protecting us. Uh, a big salute to Zack Snyder and his and team for getting this made. It's definitely one of the best superhero movie experiences I've had. Like for me personally, when I look at each individual characters and their through lines throughout the film, I feel as if this w- and I feel as if even if this is the last time we'll see this version of the DC universe, it feels it does feel like a proper conclusion to me, in some extent. Uh, yeah, it just gave me so so much and. It just goes to show you, like Rob was saying, no matter how tough it gets, no matter how much the critics go after you, your filmmakers uh, or the studios, make sure you hold on to the director's vision because that director, they have a vision. You hired them for a reason. So stick with it. That's all I got to say. Thank you, Zach and team. And uh, yeah, for autumn this was. Dave, what do you have to say before we get out of here? Very much echo a lot of your thoughts. I think that... It definitely is a great win for, you know, creatives and for silencing like a lot of critics and just seeing through, you know, what somebody originally intended. Obviously, you see a lot of filmmakers which will leave because of creative differences, but that's not when they've completed the film, when they filmed the entire thing. So I think that that was always what was really unfortunate about this. And it is like Jake said, you know, that the Warner Brothers give him the leeway to have this entire trilogy or set the film. So at least let him like finish that story. And yeah, I think that it paid off. I think that, you know, a lot of the stuff, you know, a lot of the problem, despite the problems I have in the past and some of the problems that I have in this film, overall, it did end up being one of my favorite DCEU films um, because of its epic nature, because that, you know, those more typical visual elements of Snyder work for the context of this story. It's four hours, so it's plenty of time to get lots of character development. We have loads of memorable moments with Cyborg and The Flash and Wonder Woman, Aquaman. 
there's just loads to enjoy here. There's something for everyone. I can't say that like I could recommend this to everybody, but I think definitely this is, you know, any comic book fan or anybody who enjoys any type of comic book media will absolutely love this. And also just, again, can we just stop with this Marvel versus DC bullshit? Just like constant being like, this is why this is better. This is why this isn't as good. Like, no, they're all just good. I think I put it on our chat group for capes cows and masks it's like the image of superman holding his mum and lois and it's got like marvel dc fat you know and it's like so and that's you know how i feel sometimes is that it doesn't have to be black and white you know them versus them they're different approaches and we were saying about you know it's weird that you know they were giving every director a different creative choice with their own movies but ultimately, that's why it makes it hard to have a coherent universe, and that's why it works for the MCU. But as long as they keep doing what they're doing and saying that, like, yeah, the Joker is a completely different story, has no connectivity to anything else, these movies can really work, and you can also work on what Rob was saying about having a Snyderverse, this other multiverse, this other world. So I think that it opens the doors to loads of exciting possibilities. It's really visually spectacular. It's really epic, and I think it gives us a lot of memorable and epic moments that will be remembered within comic book movies so while there's a few problems i had and you know some stuff which is not quite my bag i still had loads of fun with it and you know i'm, I'm looking forward to going back to it as i said earlier uh... <laughs> rob what do you have to say in this film i don't know how to follow up that one uh, word <laughs> review um <laughs> um Zack Snyder's Justice League is by far the best DCEU film that Zack Snyder has directed and done. Um, it's inc it's incredible to think, even to this day, that we weren't given this film back in 2017. I think it's an absolute crime what has happened to even get us to this point. Um, not just to the crime to Zack Snyder's vision, but also to the crime of the actors who were actually stripped away of their scenes in this as well, which I think is an absolute disgrace. And if there's a, one key reason that I can point out why you should go and watch this film is actually to see, in my opinion, one of the finest performances I've seen in a superhero movie in a long time, which is Ray Fisher's Cyborg, which is raw, honest and soulful and just so much full of heart. And it's, it, I was blown away by his performance in this. It's what a transformation from the 2017 cut to this cut here. Um, for many people including Snyder himself, this film will serve as a new purpose and a meaning. Uh, it's a new creative purpose and a creative responsibility that he has to not just the fans, but to people who deal with um, suicide and suicide prevention. So on the bigger picture, it's an extraordinary achievement in that in its own right. And may that go forth and spread more awareness, because I think that's absolutely incredible. But for the film itself, yes, fundamentally flawed, but I think it's incredibly satisfying for DC fans, for general audience members, and for people that love uh, this superhero genre. I think once the film is released on Blu-ray, that'll be satisfying, of course, but I think you do yourself a favour and actually purchase your ticket and go and see it in IMAX, because I think it'll look incredible in IMAX as well. And I guess the only thing I can say, and yes, it is going to be a pun intended, but justice is in fact served. In regards as well to um, you know suicide awareness and mental health awareness, if you want to support both causes, Zack Snyder's Justice League and this stuff, uh, there's a fantastic site called Ink to the People. 
uh, who do some really good merchandise in support of Zack Snyder's Justice League. You can get t-shirts, hoodies, caps, mugs, you know, all sorts of great stuff. And all your money, not, not a percentage of your money, all the money goes to this charity. And even though it's an American site, they also deliver worldwide. So if you're over here listening to us in the UK, that's not a problem to get some of this fantastic merchandise. So, Rob, I know you've ordered one. I'm definitely going to be ordering myself a hoodie. So, uh, yeah, please support the cause. It's very, very important. Uh, but everyone, thank you so much for, if, if you're still listening to this episode, <laughs> uh, we appreciate you hanging about and uh, diving it deep into Zack Snyder's Justice League and geeking out with these, with my buddies here and geeking out about this DC universe. And, uh, you know, if you want to continue the conversation with us, hit us out on Twitter and stuff for like that. But before we get into all of that, Rob, where can the people find you and what are you getting up to? Um, so you can find me at Rob Ailing Film uh, on Twitter or at Rob Ailing on uh, Instagram. And um, right now I'm still promoting my Batman fan film, which is Living in Crime Alley, which you can check out uh, online. Or you can check it out at the Geekfest um, Film Festival, which is coming up on the 2nd uh, and 4th of April. And in the meantime, I'm developing my first feature film um, at the moment, which will be within this particular genre, which will probably please um, you guys as well. So... Uh, Let's see if I can uh, d- uh, bring that to justice, eh? <laughs> oh, looking forward to seeing that. Dave, how about yourself? Uh, yeah, similar. You can uh, catch me on all socials at David Osgo on Twitter. On uh, YouTube, I recently did my first video essay. So if you want to change from all things DC, but there is some DC stuff in there because I compare Spider-Man to Superman and uh, Rob, you'll like it because I've got references there to the original, you know, Christopher Reeves, Superman, etc. with the whole, you know, ripping of the coat and how that was referenced in uh, Sam Raimi's Spider-Man. So go check that out. I've got loads more uh, video essays and stuff to come. And it also explains why I was gushing over Willem Dafoe and talking about like, you know, comparisons to Mary Jane Watson, etc. <laughs> in this, uh, in this podcast. And, uh, yeah, just to echo some of your guys' thoughts as well, I think it's really important when uh, people within uh, nude culture especially, I've seen this with a few like podcasts and different websites when they put an emphasis on mental health and nude culture because I think it is such a big thing because people, unfortunately, within this world do suffer um, mental health problems when they happen to be big fans of like things like sci-fi and fantasy and all that kind of stuff. So I'd also encourage people, you know, if there's ever any problems, always make sure that you tell somebody about it, make it clear and, you know, just head over to something like the NHS website, which has loads of charities like Mind, uh, which has loads of information and help um, if you just need to speak to somebody. So which is obviously a big takeaway, as Rob said and Jake, uh, from Zack Snyder's movement and, and everything he's gone through. Well said, well said. Uh, yeah, you can also find me on Twitter. I'm on Twitter at Sweaty Jake, and you also can get all my hot take film reviews on Letterbox. That's at Jake Hart, H A R T. Uh, as for the show, you can also find us on Twitter and Facebook at Capes, Cows, and Masks. And whether you use Anchor, Spotify, or Apple, subscribe, follow us on there. And if you're on Apple, please leave us a rating and a review as it all helps us go up in the rankings. And, uh, you know, if you're tired of us speaking about Justice League, we've also got some fantastic stuff on the horizon as we've already got our first review of the first episode of Falcon and the Winter Soldier. So we'll be doing a weekly breakdown uh, show of that. So that's really exciting. And as well, we've also got plenty of other fantastic stuff down the line. So, but the best thing you can do actually is just keep, you know, recommending us to all your geeky friends 
expand the family of capes, cows, and masks. So thank everyone for listening. We'll see you all very soon. Stay safe, everyone. Goodbye now. Bye-bye. Steppenwolf, why do you ring me? (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.